Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 non-stop destination for A's baseball. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field team. Bam going back, looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. It's one out. So he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. We are back. That's right, A's Cast Live. Before a what's going to be, hopefully, a really fun series, the A's against the Los Angeles Dodgers. Before I tell you my spring training story, I just want to say this to you A's fans. Right now, right now, right now, I'm on the MLB.com standings page. And I look and I see there's an X with Tampa. There's an X with the Yankees, X with the White Sox, X with the Twins. Nothing in the NL East, nothing in the NL Central, and then an X for the Dodgers and the Padres. There's only one Y on the board, baby. One. X stands for clinched playoff berth. Y stands for clinched division. The first part of your mission is complete. Win the division. Take it away from the Astros. And that's exactly what this team did. That's what their goal was down in spring training. Their goal is to win the World Series. They're not going to be satisfied with just saying they're ALS champs. They want more. But they're the only team right now with a Y. And you should be very proud of these guys. Everything that they've had to go through this year. And now these stories are starting to come out. I don't know if I totally agree with it, but... Like Tim Kirchner came out with a piece talking about how tough the season has been. And, you know, some people aren't having a whole lot of fun. Well, these A's look like they're having fun because they're winning. And winning is the greatest deodorant of all time. It cleans up any stink. And when you look at this team and its opportunity this year in 2020, their destiny is in their own hands. And I couldn't be happier for this group. 
Because you know what? Yeah, it sucks having to stay in your hotel room. It sucks having to do a test all the time and take your temperature all the time and do all of that. It sucks when you can only get to the ballpark when they tell you you can show up. There's a lot of things that probably aren't pleasant about this season. But as Rick Sutcliffe is going to tell you coming up here, because he was a part of that Dodger team in 1981, shortened season, Dodgers, Yankees World Series, all those guys got World Series rings. And they're the same World Series rings that everybody else gets. I can't tell you how fired up I am for today. The rest, I mean, you got seven games left. Three against L.A., four against Seattle, a day off, and then the playoffs start. Special, special times, no doubt about it. Coming up here, Corey Beck, CEO and winemaker for Francis Ford Coppola Winery and Diana Hovey, Senior Vice President for No Kid Hungry. They've teamed up together to feed children, and you're going to help. They're going to join me coming up here at 315. Because a lot of these kids, they rely on nutrition and food by being in school, but so many kids are not in school. We don't want any kids left behind. So they are going to join us coming up here at 315. There's a way for you to buy wine as an Ace fan and to help out. It's a win-win. You're helping kids get fed, and you're drinking some good wine. Former Los Angeles Dodger and San Francisco Giant assistant general manager, Ned Coletti, who still does TV around the Dodgers, he is going to join us at 3.30. Rick Sutcliffe will be calling the game tonight on ESPN, former Cy Young Award winner, Rookie of the Year, world champion. He'll be here at 4. The guy who's thrown the ball the best for you all year long is going to be here. And I'm not going to be shocked if they're saying, Chris Bassett, here's the ball in game one. He'll be here at 430. And then the skipper, Bob Melvin, at five. Now, I'm just going to tell you, we, you know, you only have certain ranges where we can get these guys. And we did Bob Melvin on Sunday. So we're not going to be able to say congratulations, Skip, on winning the AL West. We knew they were going to win the AL West, but he is so superstitious, he wouldn't go there. But we'll talk to, we did Bob on Sunday morning. That's when he was available. So we'll we'll rerun Bob coming up here at 5 o'clock. And if you've been listening to the manager show, you probably maybe heard it on A's cast. But these are great times from a standpoint of baseball. Three straight years in the postseason. First time you win the division going back all the way to 2013. That just seems so long ago. Well, let me refresh your memory. Here is the voice of your Oakland Athletics. Ken Korak, 2013. 0-2, two out ninth inning. Everybody's standing at the Coliseum. Scribner turns and deals. Swung on and missed. Up and away, and the ball game is over. And, man, what a way to finish up at home. The A's vault out of the dugout. And Mass in a scrum up the first baseline, piling on each other between the pitcher's mound and first base. They've swept the Twins in for the second consecutive year. The A's have won the West. Been a long time. 2013. But now they're set up. It's their division. Astros are struggling. I don't know what the Astros are going to look like long term. We haven't been on the air since Justin Verlander. As I told you, 
I'll believe Verlander's pitching in 2020 when I finally actually see him on a mound. And that's not happening. And he's having Tommy John surgery. And the Tommy John surgery protocol now is like 14 months. So he's going to make $33 million next year being on the shelf. I doubt he'll rush it. I hope he doesn't. But he's going to be, you got no Garrett Cole. You got no Justin Verlander. Osuna's going to be out. He'll probably be out for the year. This is this is going to be a run for the A's that I think we're all going to really, really enjoy. Because last time I checked, Angels don't have any pitching. Last time I checked, Seattle stinks. Last time I checked, Texas stinks. Financially, where the A's are, the where they're set up, the, their core, you know, there'll be a big decision on Marcus Simeon, but their core is there to win for years. But this year, now that you can take that breather, see, that's one of the things I really like is you win now, and now you can whew, take a big breath. All right, here's what we're going to do. We got seven games left. We're going to rest guys that need to be rested, going to play guys who need more at-bats, and you can start setting up however you want. We'll find out later this week from David Forrest what he's thinking with the general manager show. But now we can officially say or ask the question, who are the three you're going with? Now, hopefully you only need to use two. Win two right now. looks like you'll be going to Dodger Stadium. Commander Cody, it's been a while. How are you? I'm doing well, and I'm excited to see this A's-Dodgers series kickoff because we heard about it all spring training, how this could be a preview when the A's and Dodgers played down there when we were there, that this could be a preview of the World Series this year. And, you know, that both teams have lived up to their expectations, and it's been great to see. And I want to see who the three guys in the rotation are because then you get to figure out who's going to be the guy that comes out of the bullpen because the A's have been using a six-man rotation with the addition of Mike Miner. So – I'm curious to see how David Forrest and Bob Melvin and Billy Bean line up the rotation going into the postseason. But this series against the Dodgers is going to be exciting because for fans that don't get to see the Dodgers play as much as, you know, sometimes we do watching games outside of the market, you're going to see Ginger Guard Dustin May pitch tonight. You're going to see Gavin Lux, Cody Bellinger. We already saw Mookie Betts play for Boston. It, it, there's a lot of star power in this series, even if the A's don't have Matt Chapman. Uh, Jake Lamb has played really well. So, they, well, I mean, he's been great. Godsend. What a great find for the A's after he was DFA'd by the uh, the Snakes and our good friend Tori Lavallo and the uh, Diamondbacks down there in Arizona. So this is going to be a good series. I'm, I've been looking forward to this for a while. When we saw the A's were playing the Dodgers just once in L.A., we have been looking forward to this since the beginning of uh, the season back in July. Jake Lamb is hitting 364, two home runs, seven RBIs in the six games since joining the A's. I mean, no offense, but that's far more productive than – Matt Chapman with that bad hip and couldn't make contact. I mean, literally, he was striking out almost every single at-bat. This guy's come in, he doesn't hurt you on defense, and he's been fabulous on offense. I mean, every pickup they've made, LaStella, he's your best player. Uh, Miner's at least giving you a complete game. I mean, the front office, uh, they get some high reviews for what they've been able to do. Tonight, though, I'm going to tell you right now, the number one story tonight, What Frank? which Frankie Montas is going to show up? Because lately he hasn't been great. 
And right now, I mean, Chris Bassett has to get the ball. I'm still going to say Mike Fires. And some of you may disagree. I've got the numbers that back it up. Then who's the third guy? You going Manaya? You going Montas? You going Jesus Lazardo? Where are you going? I mean, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting how they're going to line it up. So, Frankie, this is really the start that you want to see because you're playing a playoff team. Frankie goes out there, mows him down. He's throwing high 90. He's got the split going. But if he goes out there and he gives it up, I don't know. I mean, he started your season. I mean, do you do you feel the same way about Frankie Montas now that you did earlier in the year? No, I, I mean, for me personally, I don't. I mean, he looked great those first few starts, and then the nagging injury that he had kind of limited him, and then he had to start against Arizona where he didn't look good. And I don't know, it just – the way he looked at the start this season, was he looked like he was going to win the Cy Young. I mean, there's no other way to put it. He looked great. He was building off of the year he had last year coming, you know, prior to the – the suspension, then he had that one start against the Angels coming off the suspension, and he looked awesome. Same way to start the year, then he kind of he kind of went down. We've gone back and forth forever about who's going to be the three in the rotation, and I'm with you. I think Bassett and Fires have to be in there, and then, you know, Bob, Billy, and David have to make a big decision on who's going to be the third guy uh, because I, I, it's still, for me it still goes back to you can have Lazardo come out of the pen and be an awesome piece, like an Andrew Miller like we've talked about. A guy coming out of the bullpen that can do damage for you. Or if you want to do kind of like what the Nats did last year, they used Strasburger, Scherzer, and they brought Corbin in to pitch later in the game. I mean, Patrick Corbin's not a guy you think of that's going to mow you down, but he did last year in the playoffs. And I think Lazardo has better stuff than Corbin, so that could play in the A's favor uh, going forward in the playoffs if that's something they want to do. I meant to mention this to you earlier. Do you know what happened on this date nine years ago? Give me a clue. Nine years ago is a long time. There are rich teams, and there are poor teams. Then there's 50 feet of crap, and then there's us. Nine years ago today, Moneyball made its debut in the theaters. Oh, I, rem- I remember it. We did a show around it. They had the, the green carpet. Instead of the red carpet, they had the green carpet. <laughs> and all the celebrities. Oh, yeah. I'm just saying, his girlfriend is a six at best. Oh, I remember I was uh, I once saw the movie. What does that mean? What does that mean? I gotta find. They're they're on like order. Guys here. like that. They got a little hair on their ass. Here we go. Got an ugly girl- girlfriend. What's that mean? Ugly girlfriend means no confidence. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I saw that on Twitter. I think it was the National Baseball Hall of Fame put that out. They said nine years ago, Moneyball made its debut in the theaters, and they asked people to say what their favorite baseball movies were. So I saw that. I wanted to sink that in at some point, just so we could play some of the. Incredible drops from the uh, scouts in the movie. Who's Fabio? <laughs> I like a guy who's got a little hair on his ass. Adapt or die. That's a great. You know, you go back. The- go back and watch it. It's it, it was a good movie. I remember seeing it in theaters. You know, my wife made me go see it. Because, yeah, I mean, it was it was baseball season at the time. And she was like, you need to go and see that right. Because remember... I got to watch some of it be be filmed because what they would do is when the A's game was over, they would turn the stadium back to 2002. So like the Comcast Sportsnet's stuff had to come down. They had to put Fox Sports back up, uh, the Devil Rays, 
who else? Uh, the Expo, the Expos were still around. They had to change the stadium back to what it looked like in 2002. And they would like have all the actors out there in uniforms and they'd film stuff. And, and I'd be sitting there doing the post game show. That's how I don't remember what radio station we were on at the time. Uh, We've been on so many different ones. I don't think it was, I don't think it was 95, seven just yet. Oh, it was 95, seven. It might've been eight sixty, or the first time around we were on eight sixty. Yeah. It, I remember I was in my last year of college when the movie came out. I was in my senior year. And I once saw it with one of my buddies because I read the book. I literally have the book on my bookshelf right behind me, uh, paperback, not the uh, not not ebook or anything. I actually have the paperback book of it, and I read it all those years ago. It's a great book. The book is great because the book doesn't leave out parts of Miguel Tejada winning the MVP, Barry Zito winning the Cy Young, Mark Mulder, Tim Hudson, uh, where the movie's just hey, Scott Hatterberg was a good player. He's the whole reason they won. They did the, the book didn't it, it didn't do it justice though. I mean, come on, no. they had so many great players. They, they you know, I, I understand Giambi wasn't there in two thousand two, but he had been there and he'd been the MVP. And then Miguel Aldejada's the MVP. I mean, they had they had really good players. Paramount Theater, what didn't it didn't it debut at the Paramount Theater? That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. I just like one of my favorite quotes in that movie is when they when they're in the, the scouts are on the room and he's like we got we're gonna have three players you know replace Giambi and they go Scott Hatterberg and you say the scouts go who <laughs> old man justice and uh, oh you don't want Jeremy Giambi oh boy yeah you don't want him he's trouble yeah yeah oh it's hilarious now we do realize because Grady Fuson is a friend of the program and friend of uh, my family. Yeah, it didn't exactly go down like that. I mean, he's the kind of guy who walks into a room. His d- already been there for two minutes. <laughs> you don't build a team with a computer, Billy. You don't put a team together with a computer, Billy. Uh, we were told, because remember, <laughs> if, you, if you're a diehard to this show, uh, you'll remember when we were down at spring training and Grady Fuson was over at the batting cage and I texted him. Hey, look to your right and come on down. And Grady came on the program and admitted to A's Cast Live that he never said that to Billy. You don't build a team with a computer, Billy. Yeah, that just some of like we always talk about. Maybe, maybe on well, maybe we have to get David Forrest one time to actually talk and actually talk to him about it. Every time we talk to him, it's always more important things on the docket to talk to him about. And well, yeah, kind of. We got some important things yeah. going on these days. Maybe, other maybe, than money ball. Maybe in the off season or something, or you know, something we ask them about it. Like, hey, so we've been wanting to ask you this for like a year and a half now. And we and play all these cuts for him. Did this actually happen? Yeah. Did anybody say the guy's got an ugly girlfriend? Well, what does that mean? I mean, he has no confidence. <laughs> Do you guys still scout like that now, eighteen years later? Oh God. <sighs> it's a good movie. Wow, that debuted nine years ago. Yeah, 2011. That's I remember. Like I said, I was a senior in college. It was my last year. Yeah, where was everybody nine years ago? My kids were a lot younger. I was in a different house. Radio station. You were a different. You were every. I mean, everything was different. We can't figure out what radio station we were on. And it's always a win to have our friend on Ned Coletti. Ned, how are you? Hey, doing okay. Doing all right, thank you. Yourself? 
Uh, we're, we're, you know, the, the A's have clinched. We're the only team that's clinched the division. So uh, we weren't going to have to deal with it anyway. But, you know, Ned, two straight years of losing in the wild card game after winning 97 <laughs> games. That's brutal. <laughs> the wild card game. That's a tough one to be in after 162 and winning 97. That's uh, it's unfair in a lot of ways. You've been in this game a long time, and you've seen a lot of stuff. But this year, as we're starting to get some articles out here of just about how tough everything has been on these players and these traveling parties and COVID-19 to the social injustice. And we mentioned there was almost a hurricane with the uh, athletics when they were going to Houston. And now the air quality that they're having to play in out on the West Coast. I mean, there's never been a year like this. What, what, what do you think how tough it's been for I like to say the players and the whole traveling party. Well, it's it's obviously totally different. Uh, life is totally different pretty much everywhere and pretty much for everybody, whether you're an athlete uh, or not an athlete. I think it's um, it's probably been a pretty good wake-up call to a lot of people to um, how good we had it, so to speak, and and the freedom to move around, the freedom to be with people, the, the freedom to travel. Uh, the freedom to travel as a team and and uh, get to a city and if you get there early enough maybe grab a dinner out and and uh, you know all all the trappings of the life and the lifestyle. People used to tell me you don't have a job, you have a lifestyle, and I think it's it's obviously been different. And you know I congratulate and I, I tip my cap to so many people that had to figure this out. And uh, you know the baseball is and and hockey is the two businesses that I've been in for a long time. And as I as I look at what the NHL has done in Toronto and Edmonton, and now just Edmonton, remarkable, no positive tests. As I look at what baseball has done uh, with far more travel than uh, than hockey or the NBA, and uh, a little bit of rough going early with some teams with uh, multiple positive tests, but really not much lately. And I, th- I think it's shown great discipline, great planning. Um, hard to do, hard to get that many people in that in so many different places uh, to follow the same the same line, so to speak. And I think it's uh, it's a tribute to so many people that they've been able to have a, a season with very little interruption, except for St. Louis that had a lot of games to make up. Miami, a little bit of the same. But by and large, it's, it's, I think it's remarkable that we are where we are. If you look back 12 months or even eight months, but I think it's remarkable where we are, too, in some ways, if you look back four or five months. Yeah, and Major League Baseball, the fact that they've been able to adapt as they go, and they reached out to the NBA, and they reached out to the NHL. How's the bubble working? And now the A's and everybody going to be in the postseason, we're now going to go into a bubble. Just how smart do you think? Because obviously working for the Sharks and following hockey, you know how well that bubble uh, has worked. How important is it for baseball to get in one of those bubbles? I think it is imperative at this point in time. Let's face it. You've got a very compacted postseason schedule. You've got an extra round of three games uh, for every team. You've got more teams involved. Um, so you, you really can't have a – let's go back to the St. Louis situation where they were, they were missing so many games or, or Miami. So they were missing so many games. You have a playoff team that that happens to. How do you do that? I mean, you're going to really you're going to shut down the entire postseason for a while, so you really have to guard against it. It's one thing in the regular season because you can make an adjustment here or there. If somebody's played a few less games, okay, you know you know you've got 
maybe three or four or five weeks to make them up or six weeks to make them up, or you've got another system that you could put in place. But when you're talking about the playoffs and how much is at stake uh, and how many players have really kind of sacrificed to get to this point in front offices and travel people and everybody, I don't think you can have any misstep right now. And I think that, that putting people in the bubble, so to speak, I think it's, it's a wise choice. Because uh, you look at the NBA and you look at the NHL, there's been no interruption. And that's what baseball needs to, to finish this thing off. You know, this is a, this is going to be a good series. And I remember down at spring training before we shut down, a lot of people said, hey, this could be a World Series preview between the Athletics and the Dodgers. You've been covering the Dodgers on television. How excited are you to see this kind of matchup, kind of, you know, two really good teams matching up right before the postseason? I think it's great. Um, I think it's great for baseball. I also think, you know, I, I wish Chapman was playing, as I'm sure a lot of Oakland people do. Um one of the things about the Dodgers this year, and they've been terrific, is that the competition has not been able to match up to them. Uh, San Diego has gotten better. It's been a couple of good series here and there. But by and large, this team is, is on a tremendous pace, probably 115, 116-win pace if you played 162. So of a historic nature. But the competition, in, in my opinion, has not, has not really been a match for it. Teams can pitch three, four, or five innings. As the game gets longer, their pitching gets thinner. Dodgers grind out at best. They figure out a way to do damage, and they can almost win any game they play. So I think playing a team like Oakland, a really good team, excellent team, well-managed, well-put-together, I think that that is really what the Dodgers need at this stage because I'm, sure, I'm not sure the Dodgers know how good they're going to have to be as you get deep into October. they got a pretty good feel how good they need to be in the National League. But I don't think they have any idea if they're fortunate to get to the World Series, how good they're going to be, how good they're going to need to be. And I think that they're playing good competition. I think it, it shows you where you're at. I also think it only makes you better. Yeah, you're talking about the two best bullpens in Major League Baseball. And the kid you got uh, going tonight, May, uh, Ginger Guard, he's out there throwing 100. I mean, just the talent, Walker Bueller, the talent that the Dodgers have. And and, and what, Ned's, what's going on Clayton Kershaw? He's back. He's 6-2 and two with a 2.15 ERA. I mean, my, I mean he's, he's looking like the Kershaw of old. You know what? I think he's healthy. I don't think he's always been healthy the last few years, and I think that uh, knowing him, having drafted him a long time ago now, back in in '06, uh, I've known him since he was 18 years old. That's kind of that's kind of crazy when I think about it. But it's he he was always one of those guys that you had a fight to get off the mound. He would not take a DL or an IL. Now he would not miss a start. He would not. He would he would fight to consistently compete. And I think the last couple of years, while he did, and he spent a little bit of time on the IL. But it was probably a shorter period of time as as he would let himself stay. But I think this year, uh, I think since really the first 10 days of the season, he's been so sharp with what he brings. I think his fastball's got a a little bit more life to it, maybe another mile per hour, which may or may not be a big deal. But the life of the pitch is is stronger. I think the the crispness of a slider is also a, a byproduct of that. And the curveball's been great. Let's not forget, the kid's got incredible intellect he knows you know as every great pitcher that's won a lot of games knows and this man's about 100 games over 500 lifetime and I think the (laughs) highest winning percentage of any left-handed pitcher in the history of the sport crazy but I mean that's how good he's been he knows how to pitch 
And we, we see a lot of young guys come up and they, they know how to throw and they may have command from time to time, but you know, pitching and throwing is, is two different parts of the craft and he knows what he's doing. He's, he's always had intellect. He continues to refine it and he competes like crazy. And now he's, he's, I think he's feeling better than he has probably in three seasons. So I think that has added up to what you've seen. I think he's got a shot at winning a fourth Cy Young. Wow. That's, that's unbelievable. And also unbelievable is, they're starting to get hot. If you look at Cody Bellinger and Mookie Betts and Justin Turner, I'm looking through these game notes, and it's just, you know, over the last eight games, six games. So their offense is really starting to round and form right before the playoffs start. Well, in the case of Mookie Betts, you know, you watch him from you watch him from a distance when he's in the other league, and you go, wow, this guy is really a good player, probably top five in the game. Then you watch him play every day, and he might be top one or two in the game, depending on who you're talking to. The thing I, I really respect and, and admire of how he plays is the attention to detail. There's nothing that slips by him. A secondary lead, uh, getting an extra, uh, moving just a, a, tad, a tad to the left or the right in the right field, uh, knowing where to throw, knowing where to throw to the cutoff man. All these little details that people think are, well, inconsequential, they make you a great player. There's no doubt there's a lot of players with a lot of talent. There, there's few in my history that have the attention to detail that he brings. And you talk about Justin Turner. He's, you got, you got Betts and Seager going one, two in this lineup, right-handed, left-handed. If Betts wasn't on this team and the team had the same record, Seager would be getting a lot of talk on MVP. He's been that good. And then you got, you got Bellinger who struggled a lot of the year had a real good stretch, got hurt, come back and he started to get a little bit hot right now. Uh, but Justin Turner uh, doesn't get a lot of the, the headline to it, but he sits right in the middle of it. And and he is such a stabilizer for your lineup, stabilizer for your locker room. Uh, he's become a very good third baseman. When we signed him back in 14, I signed him because I knew he could hit, but I wasn't sure how good the defense was be. He could probably stand it short, play a little bit of second, a little bit of third. But to his credit, he went to work, and he's become a very good third baseman. He's not a Chapman. He's not an Arenado in the National League, but he's a very good player. And he's a stabilizer, and he's a leader, and he's really developed into all those things in the last five or six years. But uh, it's a very talented team. You know, you'll see it for the next three days. They will grind out at bats. They will make people work for their outs. And if somebody makes a mistake defensively and gives them an extra out in an inning, usually they will find a way to make you pay for it. Ned, you've been in this game a long time, and you know the obstacles that the Oakland A's have from a front office standpoint, but yet they don't use that as an excuse. Six out of nine years, the A's have been to the playoffs under Bob Melvin. Since Billy Bean took over, it's 11 out of 21. I mean, when you sit and look at the success that the A's have had, and you know kind of the pitfalls and the hurdles that they have, do you just marvel how many times these guys end up making the postseason? All the different names, all the different players, but there's just one constant. They're always tough. There's no doubt, and I think they um, – I have so much respect. And I miss the Bay Area for a lot of reasons, but uh, some of it was running into Billy and, and David Forrest, and uh, – they're smart. They're really diligent with what they do. They are they are precise in, in their thought process, and not everybody's going to be perfect. And but I do think that they really maximize everybody's ability, including including Melvin's ability. 
I think they've given him a chance to really become as good as he can be. I think leadership is about that in so many ways. It's really about whoever you lead, that you lead in such a way that they can be as good as they can possibly be. So there's no regret and there's no, hey, what if? And I think a lot of the Oakland teams play like that. They play to the top of their ability. They play hard. They don't, they don't take shortcuts. I think playing in the Coliseum is kind of, uh, while it's a curse in many ways, I think it reminds me of some of the giant teams uh, that I was a part of and some of the giant teams that I competed against when I was with the Cubs. You know, that, that environment, it's a tough place to play sometimes. And I think that, that they probably, while they wish they had a brand new stadium and all the luxuries that go with it, you know, there's a little bit of grit to the personality of the place. And there's a little bit of grit to the personality of the team. And I think maybe one one feeds the other in, in some ways. But, uh, you know, I, I miss talking to Billy all the time. And he and I had some tremendous conversations through the years, both when I was uh, in San Francisco, then when I moved down to L.A. But uh, you always know that you're going to find a team that is, is well well schooled and they will they will make you pay, too, if you make a mistake along the way. No, oh, there was there was nothing worse than those freezing nights at Candlestick Park. Oh goodness! <laughs> How about it? I didn't you know? I, I went there for 13 years during my Cub career, you know, for two series a year, and then he had 89 playoffs. Uh, but when you when you went to work there, 81 games a year. Oh my goodness! But you know what? We turned it into an advantage too when we could, because we were a little bit more accustomed to it. But yeah, you're right. It was a, it was a rugged place to be, especially in the middle of the summer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's, it's July, and the fog. Everywhere else in the country, it's warm, it's humid, and the the fog is coming over into the stadium. It's the only place in the country. Oh gosh, we used to sit there, Brian and uh, Dick Tidgell, man, and you could you could count the people coming in. You know, you because they had those long aisleways at Candlestick Park from the concourse down to the, the first couple of rows, long, long aisles. And we used to go, you know, we've we got a good team. The 97 team was really a great team that played hard. And you'd have 10,000, 12,000 people and about 6,000 blankets, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'll good memories, though. Days. Good memories. Yep. Ned, it's always great to catch up with you. Uh, love seeing your team. You know, not we love you having you with the Sharks, but uh, the TV success and Emmy awards. It's uh, your TV star now. Oh, I don't know about that. I just, you know, the only thing I really know is baseball and hockey, and I'm not sure how much of that I know. But you know, like they say, fake it till you make it. Well, I'm still talking about it, so uh, all is good. I appreciate being out with you, Chris. Yeah, be well, be safe, and we'll talk in the playoffs. Thank you. All the best. Steve Garvey is going to join us in moments. Or I should say, join us in a moment. Hi there. Steve, how you doing? It's Chris Townsend with the A's. Hey, Chris. How are you? Oh, fantastic. Great to have you on the program again. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for very, uh, very good timing. Very topical, huh? Yeah, I mean, this is a it's a great matchup between the A's and the Dodgers. And obviously, and we got to really see it last night. The firepower that the Dodgers have is very impressive. Well, you know, it is, um, you know, if you notice, though, and I, of course, I'm, you know, I'm a Dodger and so forth. And uh, I'm a little prejudiced with the team, but um you know, with this new baseball, if you look at the home runs and the distance uh, over the fence, 
<laughs> uh, you know, it's probably 10 to 15 feet with this new baseball. And uh, one hit the top of the fence last night. Taylor's ball kind of snapped hooked over. Uh, Muncie's and Seeger's are very good. But uh, in this new millennial of baseball, you get the ball in the air and you got a good chance. And obviously, you know, not only the Dodgers, but the A's. Uh, and the A's, I think, rely a lot on, on the home run power. Um, it's going to boil down to that. Last night was a good example. You know, it's interesting that you, you, you mentioned the ball because our pitching coach, Scott Emerson, believes there's also a juiced bat. As he says, years ago, you used to see X amount of bats broken almost every single game, and now you don't see bats being broken, and there's the sealant that they put on these bats. So could could we be dealing not only with juice ball, but also juice bats compared to what like you guys had? <laughs> well, uh, you know, in many ways, if you look at it, you know, a lot of times I, I like to see an analyst uh, for these teams, you know, most time you have a pitcher, and the Dodgers have a great combination of Davis and Oral Hershiser. Uh, but you need a, a, a guy that's, you know, been a position player and hitter to talk about this because uh, when when I was playing back, you know, starting in the 70s to 90, and then beginning, I would think about somewhere in the 90s, maple started to come come about, which is a harder wood. Uh, before that, it was ash, and you could actually see some indentations uh, on ash because it was a softer, uh, softer wood. Now, I used to, I used to have mine what they call flame treated, and flame treating was supposed to harden the bat somewhat, seal it, and then you put a varnish on it. Nowadays, you have this, uh, and by the way, there was, there was, you could tell the age of a bat because of the width of the uh, of the grain. The greater the width the older the bat, the harder the bat. Um, so now you've got maple, very fine grain, but a very hard bat uh, that in lower temperatures, now you'll see this a lot in the fall. Um, once you start to get into northern you know, cities and you may get rain, you may get cold because of the late fall, you see bats snap in half and, and people you say, gosh, how did that happen? Well, that's what maple does. And with maple, you also can't see the stress fractures in it that you could see in ash. So that's the difference. Now, the big difference too is not only is maple harder, but it's true. The varnish that is put on it now uh, is measured, I think, one to 10 or one to, to nine. And uh, a bat company like Chandler, um, which I know, uh, their varnish is about an eight five. So it, it is almost as hard as it can legally get. So you combine that with extra velocity, uh, with a ball with a heartbeat, so to speak, and uh, and you see uh, you know distances that you you haven't seen prior to the last you know ten years or so. So um, you know, and, I, and you also get the ricochet factor because of the uh, the increased average speed of fastballs now. So that's why. And I used to always say power sells, but sometimes too much power you know causes suspicion. It makes you think, you know, games can be decided by, I've seen balls hit off the end or actually jam shots um, that have gone over the fence and everybody looks at each other. <laughs> you know, so uh, it's, just, it's just an aspect of the game today. You know, when you would get a batch of bats, how would you decide which was your gamer, which did you uh, use in BP or the cages, and which ones would you just, you know, you wouldn't use at all? <laughs> 
Well, if you look back into uh, like early in the uh, in the 20th century, uh, players like Ty Cobb and uh, maybe a, a, a Gehrig and other you know guys that weren't considered power hitters may use two or three bats a year. Uh, and then as time went on, the evolution of uh, you know the game itself and the treating of wood and so forth. Um, bats became a little more brittle and you used to see guys use maybe a dozen or two. I never fell in love with one bat because I was a notorious bat breaker because my bat was 35 inches, 35 ounces. And, uh, and our theory used to be inches to ounces in terms of balance. I used to look for wide grain, but I, I used to stay in there. And because I had good bat speed and a close stance and I, I covered the outside part of the plate, I would get jammed and still be able to slice the ball down the line, I may lose the bat. I, I'd gladly exchange a bat for a double, you know, anytime. So that, uh, and I think there were times when Nolan Ryan would try to jam me two or three times and I'd bloop it down the line for a double and I'd get the second base and I would stand there and he'd turn around and go, Bammer Gar, hit the ball hard. <laughs> I would go, keep it away from me, you know, don't jam me. And we would smile at each other and, you know, mutual respect. But uh, when you talk about hitting, these are the nuances that I think the audience uh, doesn't always get the reasons why a guy hit a pitch or the reason why uh, they're not covering the outside half of the plate is predominantly because hitters have open stances now and they don't always get closed to be able to cover the outside. If you look at a, you know, early in this pandemic, there are a lot of historic games. And if you watch the game from 10, 15 years ago and on, everybody had a close stance. And why did they do that? Because they wanted to be able to cover the plate. They hit down through the ball to create backspin. Um, you know, people ask me, hey, hey, Garb, did you have a launch angle? I said, of course they had a launch angle. How did they get the ball in the ballpark? But we didn't believe in hitting low to high. We believed in hitting down through the ball, hitting line drives. Uh, and uh, and the offense that comes with that, which is moving runners over, it mean running. Uh, you know, I tell people once I started bunting for base hits, uh, I would say five years into my career, I would get maybe 10, 12 base hits a year, which was 25 points on my average. So just by being able to do that um, and being being smart, you know, and then the third baseman would play me in more than he normally would, and I'd get another six to eight hits by him because he was 10 feet closer in. So all these things, if you're smart, um, you can pick up 25, 30 points by just using your head. Well, you know, I, I think about last night and Matt Olson, our first baseman, came up to the plate and the Dodgers yeah. put four outfielders and three infielders. But all three infielders were on the right side. There was no one playing the left side and he strikes out. What would what would have been like for you if they basically said no first baseman, no second baseman, and they give you the entire right side? Oh, I I, I think maybe five I bet five six hundred because uh, you know only in a situation where you would have to if you had power try to drive the ball out. Uh, the game is too tough. It's 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 arguably the single greatest and most difficult specific skill sport uh, is hitting a baseball. And uh, and when you're given something, you know, you, you've got to take it. Uh, I could stand at home plate. If I saw the, the center fielder drift to his left towards right center, I knew the pitcher was going to, to pitch me away. Uh, there was no shifts back then. 
uh, nobody could play me, you know, could shift on me because I, I was a guy that thought right, right center, um, cover the outside part of the plate. I'd go that way. If I wanted to have the pitcher pitch me in, I'd move closer to the plate, and those smarty pants catchers would look at my feet, give me the inside. And as the guy was delivering the ball, I'd back up six inches and get my fastball. So, I mean, it's 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 so tough that if you don't think, um, then you don't you won't seize opportunities and get the most of them. So, uh, you know, last night, you know, if I was Mr. Olson, I would have taken two shots to the left side. Now, you know what? If you can slap the ball and get the ball, I would say from 15 feet from the line to the line with with some momentum you can you can get an easy double not just a, a, a hit so uh in the postseason championships are won by teams that seize uh opportunities and take advantage of them and give in so to speak all the guys that are low to high you know launch angle guys if they give in just to get on base and get that pitcher to work from the stretch it's going to going to be a big plus for the team and they're going to show leadership you know, 1981, we were talking to uh, Ritz, Rick Sutcliffe about this yesterday because he was calling the game on ESPN. And I just remember 1981 as a kid of that great World Series between you guys and the Yankees. And we don't even think about it being the, the labor stoppage, the two different halves and all that. I mean, we just remember you guys won the World Series. You got the World Series ring. It was a great World Series. It's kind of it's a little different because we're dealing with a pandemic now, but I mean, it's the same thing. I think whoever wins this, we're going to look at and go, man, this team had to go, whoever wins had to go through so much. They had to go through COVID, social injustice. Uh, we talk about if it's a California team or a West Coast team, the air quality has been so bad. Do you see some similarities from 81 in this year? Well, you know, um, when there are these years that are challenged by uh, abnormal situations, um, and as long as it's the same for everybody, then, you know, history books will take note of, of that season, the specifics of it, and, uh, and give credit to the ultimate champion for just what you said, making adjustments, uh, sacrificing, uh, doing all the little things to, uh, to be successful. Um, really, you know, it, it, Really taking the, the, the term, you know, we instead of me in winning a championship. And people say, oh, there's going to be an asterisk by, by this season. I don't think there should be an asterisk. But this, the, the biography of the season will tell the tale. And the team that wins is going to be the, the world champion. And, uh, and so be it. So it's always, if it's always fair for everybody, then that's just the way the season has to be designed because of, uh, because of, um, you know, abnormal situations. You know, you played for two great managers, two Hall of Famers, and a happy birthday to Tommy Lasorda. It was his 93rd birthday yesterday. And then, of course, the great Dick Williams, who managed the A's of two world titles, and then you were with Dick in San Diego uh, when, when you guys took on the Tigers. What does it mean when – to, to have that strong leader, to have that guy that you have, that you have the ultimate confidences when he's making those decisions because you played for two of the greats. Well, also Walter Alston. Um, yeah. He was my first manager, and I actually uh, we're working on a book now called The Journey, uh, and it's somewhat of an autobiography. 
but the first day uh, that I actually fell in love with the game, uh, my dad was a Greyhound bus driver at the end of March of 1956. He came home living in Tampa, Florida, and he said, you want to skip school tomorrow? And I said, gosh, dad, yeah, you never said that before. <laughs> what are we doing? He said, well, I have a charter to pick up the Brooklyn Dodgers from the Tampa airport and take them to St. Pete to play the Yankees in an exhibition game. And I thought it might be a great father and Sunday. Well, it was. That day I got a chance to bat boy for the world champion Brooklyn Dodgers. Uh, to sit next to Hodges and Reese, have uh, Jackie Robinson literally sit on my lap. He didn't see me. <laughs> and he goes, oh, my God, I'm sorry, son. I'm thinking Monday show and tell. Nobody's going to believe Jackie Robinson sat on my lap. But uh, and uh, and subsequently, 12 years later, with the, you know, signing with the Dodgers. And ever since then, the evolution of my life, which has been a blessing. But, uh, you know, just like anything, um, you know, history is important. You got to understand that. And uh, and you gotta you gotta flow with it. you know life is all about making adjustments and and I like you tell the kids not making the same mistake twice learning from our mistakes knowing that we're all fallible but uh, still trying to make a difference uh, in how we're blessed so you know this season is one that uh, God willing there won't be another one quite like it but we're all going to learn from it. Well, let's end on this because I always want to bring it up in case people don't know what a great football player you were at Michigan State as a defensive back. Uh, it, it, it's nice that we're, you know, because not having Big Ten football was like, wow, and I don't think we're going to have Pac-12 football, but your Michigan State Spartans are back. Amen. You know, I think the Big Ten thought, oh, we're going to set the way and, you know, we're going to cancel early and, all of a sudden, the ACC and the SEC, everybody got in line. And, of course, Pac-12 uh, is still sitting out there. I can't believe it. Um, but thank you for the compliment of, it, of being a, a good football player. I, I love playing the game. I think, you know, come a couple of years at Michigan State, because at that time, you could sign professionally after your uh, sophomore year in baseball, uh, were great molding years. I learned so much. I got a chance to play games at Notre Dame and uh, USC came to East Lansing when I was a sophomore and they had a tailback by the name of OJ Simpson who uh, they beat us in a great game 21-17 and I uh, punished him four or five times I think but uh, I've learned so much and, and you talk about leadership and talk about the great managers that I had Alston and Lasorda and Williams but I played for Duffy Darty, who was a Hall of Fame football coach and uh, the great Irishman who was a great storyteller. And, uh, you know, I've had, I've had great men. And, and of course, I think every successful man has, has a, a mother that molds them and teaches them. And, you know, I was an only child and, uh, and my mother was, uh, my dad was the big gentle bear that everybody loved. And mom was the disciplinarian and the combination of both of them, you know, I thank God for but uh, being around leaders and listening and learning and thinking about, you know, why they were successful. And I've been able to take a lot of those reasons and, and, uh, and mold them into my life uh, is quite a blessing. So, um, you know, it's, it's times like this where leadership is so very, very important. And I know uh, my wife, Candace, and I, uh, you know, in our family, and I know there are millions of others uh, try to lead by example and doing all the things during this pandemic that, that uh, we can be responsible for and to uh, thank God for what we have and to help uh, help all of us endure and this pandemic, God willing, will will keep uh, diminishing and we'll learn from it and go on. So, uh, but it's nice like tonight where two good baseball teams are going to play 
and they're going to learn from each other because uh, they may just play each other in a in about two or three weeks. So they've got to learn as much as possible in these three games for the time when they may play each other. Steve, it is always an honor to have you on the program. We really appreciate your time, and uh, hopefully sure. we can do this in the postseason, and hopefully we will be talking about the Dodgers and the A's in the World Series. <laughs> That's right. It'd be a great matchup. That was my first World Series in 1974 where uh, where the A's were, were going about their trilogy, and we were a bunch of young kids that, you know, Walter Olson was trying to wipe our noses and uh, kick us in the behind once in a while. We learned a lot from you know, the old veterans of the A's back then. And that's why, you know, we went to three more World Series in the next eight years and then finally a World Championship. But I always say that 74 experience really paved the way for future success. And I got to thank the A's for teaching us. Amen. (laughs) You're the best, Steve. Take care and be safe. You too. Bye now. The The great Steve Garvey. Craig, thank you so much for taking the time. We truly appreciate it. How are you? I'm doing just fine. How about yourself? Uh, We're doing well. You know, it's always interesting when you start talking to people who help change the game. And, of course, uh, you worked for the A's. You were a scout. But now as a hitting guru, and you've taught all a bunch of these new hitting gurus, uh, it's, it's fun to talk about because years ago, you didn't get instruction outside of the organization. Now so many people hitting and pitching-wise, they do get instruction outside of the organization. Yeah, that seems to be the trend today. Uh, I really don't know the reason for it, but I'm grateful for it because that's involved me a lot. Are you still with the Dodgers? I'm still with the Dodgers. Uh, My role with the Dodgers, I'm uh, listed as a hitting consultant to the organization. And that's basically to the minor league or uh, minor league coaches and minor league situation. That's always a great gig, the consultant, because the consultant never has to be around for the wins and the losses. <laughs> I take them pretty hard. <laughs> well, I got to tell you what you've been teaching these young Dodger kids. They come up and uh, it, 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 this offense, it, it's pretty amazing. The, the talent they have at the big league level, and you'll know more than I, the talent at the minor league level, uh, I, I don't know how many organizations in the history of baseball have been this stacked top to bottom with talent. Yeah, I think what's interesting is uh, you look at clubs like Atlanta and the Yankees who had long runs of winning championships, but they got old because it was the same players. And as you look at the Dodgers, we seem like we're young every year because we have a nice balance of guys we've developed on our organization, plus free agent signings, obviously, like Mookie Betts. But the combination of the two and having players in the minor leagues that we can trade to other organizations is a real, is a real plus. So it's been a front trip for sure. Well, the person who pointed that out yesterday, we had Rick Sutcliffe on the on the program because he was calling the game last night on ESPN and he brought that up he goes if you go back all the way to like Clayton Kershaw it's like every single year it's 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 either one or two new guys who come up and really contribute it's like the fountain of youth just keeps just keeps producing guys for the LA Dodgers oh for sure uh I mean Will Smith is the example this year he's really come on and it's great because he's a great young man. I'm really happy for him. What do you think is the difference, like, from when you first got in baseball and how people taught hitting to where we are now 
with how you guys teach hitting? I think the big thing is the video. And I was exposed to the video, uh, I can't remember when. It was before I even got into scouting or coaching. Uh, I lived in the Arcadia area, and there was a, an old ball player who took the a bowling alley, bought it, and turned it into a hitting cage. But he basically gave lessons based on his video work. The guy's name was Babe Dahlgren. Uh, most people remember Babe as the guy that replaced Lou Gehrig when he finally had to step down. And it was through going in and talking with Babe that I got interested in using video. And the video kind of showed me what they say today, the difference between what's real and what's feel. People always describe things on what they felt or what they were told in the past, but really weren't really observing what was going on. And the video allowed us to observe the hitter. I think that's the big thing for me anyway. Yeah, I, And wouldn't you say we can say the same thing about golf? As oh. golf, you always had an instructor sit there and look at you, and you'd see where the ball was going, and they would tell you. But now, you know, over the years, the ability to use video, now you can see your swing, and now I can see why I'm hooking it. Now I can see why I'm slicing it. And I remember back when I was a kid growing up in San Diego, the legend of Tony Gwynn, where he would bring a VCR on the road and he would tape his own game on the road and then he'd come back to the hotel and he'd watch the video and then in San Diego when he was at home his wife would tape the game at home they didn't have video at Jack Murphy Stadium he would have to do it either at his hotel room or or his house so it was amazing how Tony Gwynn helped also usher video into baseball oh for sure and you know I remember a lot of the old ball players when I first got into it saying, look, I played X number of years, I don't need video. And to me, it was like the caveman saying, my fire's good, I don't need electricity. Uh, it's there. It was technology that was there, and it came from golf. And I think golf was the first to utilize it, and probably football. And baseball kind of was kind of a late arrival on the scene. But now, I me mean, look at a guy like J.D. Martinez, and he's really upset because video is a part of his preparation as it is for so many players. You look at some of the players now that traditionally have been great hitters who are struggling in the short season. A lot of those guys were big video users. They base what they do on observation. And with that being taken away during the pandemic, I think it's affected a lot of people in their hitting. And the sooner we can get back to utilizing that technology, the better. Yeah, and also part of the problem is uh, people figured out how to take that technology and uh, learn to cheat with it. We know the Astros got punished. Uh, the Red Sox, uh, they've looked at the Red Sox a couple times, and there's rumors about other organizations. I just don't know how you allow video. After what we saw, at least the Astros do, how do you allow video during the game now? I don't know. I don't have the answer for that. I, I know that video using to look at your swing or looking at the pitcher and getting a feel for his your timing on your swing from watching video of him throw and seeing how the ball comes out of his hand. I don't consider that teaching. I just consider that using the modern technology. It's when you take that technology and put it in the center field camera and relay that one way or another, or even having a guy wired and beeps in his helmet or whatever. I don't know the answer to that. 
but I don't want to wipe out the technology and the use of that technology because some people have overused it. Now, you can make steel into a nice surgical instrument to save lives, but you can use it, make it into a bullet to take it. Uh, how do we control how people use it? I don't know. I really don't. I wish I did. Yeah, I, I mean, me too, because also working in the NFL, everything that they have on the sidelines, you know, video is a great teaching tool. And I just hope that we can figure it out to where guys, for pitchers and hitters, everybody can utilize it. We can get it back in the game. Let's talk about approach, because we see so many guys now, you know, we were taught back in the day as hitters to hit the ball back up the middle. Well, now you can't do that because they got a guy standing there and it's an easy ground yeah. ball out, right? So, right. and they're now taught, you know, guys want to, guys don't want to hit the ball on the ground anymore. Guys want to hit the ball in the air. Talk about the new approach. Well, I don't know that it's really a new approach. I, I tell people say, okay, well, you're the guy that got started this uh, launch angle revolution. And yet I never use the expression launch angle. I just go back to, I, I couldn't hit and I couldn't figure out why. And Ted Williams made so much sense to me. Instead of swinging down on the ball, he said, you want to get on plane with the ball so you stay on the path longer. And as I started thinking about that and started teaching that and figuring out how the best hitters did it, there were a lot of guys that thought they swung down on the ball but they didn't. They they just were natural hitters, or somebody put the teach on them, in Ty Cobb's words, that allowed them to hold angle and get at that angle and stay through the ball longer. If you do that, you're more likely to have as a miss a pop-up than you are a ground ball. So what I originally said was, I'd rather have a guy hitting fly balls than ground balls. But I never really talked about the launch angle. Somebody figured out the launch angle. One of the analytics people figured it out and said, that's what I was talking about. And I guess I, I guess I was, I don't know. <laughs> well, again, coming from golf, uh, you know, launch angle was something it, it, people got to realize in golf. It's it's not like they were trying to make the players better. They're trying to sell golf clubs. So they had to give you like they had to give you all the golf speak of why you need to keep buying new drivers and new irons. And they yeah. give you a launch angle and spin rate. and all, all that stuff's been in golf for a long time. Well, before baseball ever had it. Right. And it's funny, though, you mentioned that. But the bat really hasn't changed all that much. We use different woods, make it a little lighter might taper a little bit, but if you look at early bats, yeah, they were heavier, but the shape has not changed as much as I think the golf club head has changed. Are you amazed at how hard all these young pitchers are throwing these days where on a nightly basis we're seeing 97 to 100 miles an hour and even more than triple digits sometimes? Yeah, that's that's been the big revolution, and it's changed hitting. Because hitting is just a reaction to to pitching, uh, but I, I never thought I'd see as many guys touching 100 as I see today. And I don't really. I think again, maybe a, the use of video, better mechanics, better nutrition, just better overall coaching, because what the video has revealed to us as to what is the proper sequence to maximize thrust or whatever you're looking for. And would you also say that these hitters 
are seeing such high velocity at such a young age. So by the time you get through high school, you either go to pro ball or you go to college. So by the time you get to the big leagues, you've been seeing this velocity since you were very young. Yeah, I think that has a lot to do with it. The more familiar you are with something, the more you figure out how to adjust to it. And I think that's a big part of what's going on in baseball today. You know, one thing that that kind of bugs me about our ball club, the A's, is sometimes we get in that rut where, you know, we just don't make a whole lot of contact. And it's the three true outcomes of home run, strikeout, walks. And there's times when we're just not hitting the ball. As a hitting instructor, yes, you want power. Yes, you want the ball in the air. But how do you get these guys back to the mentality of, maybe a two-strike approach, or maybe you don't even like a two-strike approach. How do you get these guys to make more contact? Uh, that's a good question, and I think that's a, that's a work in progress right now, trying to figure that out. And I think what's happened, if I can digress a little bit, is the, the change in pitching. It's not just a change in pitching. It's a change in umpiring and a change in catching. You've got these nice, tight, form-fitted, uh, chest protectors and gear that the catchers wear that the umpires also wear. They used to have that big balloon chest protector and they didn't yeah. call the low pitch. Now they can get down and for a while they call nothing but the low pitch, but then pressure was put on to call the whole strike zone. So the mound has changed up and down to get pitchers more velocity. The umpiring has changed and they're calling a bigger strike zone. Uh, than they ever did before, and the pitch tracks helps umpires establish what that strike zone is going to be. So I think all of these things combined has brought about the changes that we're seeing, and is forced, and it's just forced the idea. Well, it's made it more difficult to cover both inside, outside, backwards, and forwards. Pitchers are throwing more off speed than ever before. So it's not just covering, like I said, one part of the plate. We have to cover up, down, in, out, and because of the amount of breaking balls and off-speed pitches, backwards and forwards. This is why I think you have a lot of the strikeouts today, and we're trying to figure out maybe we find need to find a way to go back to Wee Willie Keeler and just learn to hit them where they ain't. Yeah, especially with these shifts. Um we know the ball's different. That's That's been proven. Mm-hmm. There is a belief by our pitching coach, Scott Emerson. He goes, there used to be four, six, eight broken bats a game. Now there's hardly any broken bats. Is the bat different, like the sealant on the bat? You know, I don't know. You'd have to ask one of the bat companies that. Just in feeling bats in my hand, I think they're using just better wood than they've ever used before. And maybe there is some kind of a seal on it, or maybe it's a guy that's just hunting pitches more than ever before. And so he's not chasing and fighting off pitches, like you said, two-strike approach and try to hit them where they ain't. That meant more broken bat singles, more weak hits. Now it's either hard or nothing with this kind of worshiping the exit velocity. Let's let's end on this. Your time with the A's, you you were there with Oakland during during glory times. You know, three straight right. World Series. What what was that like for you? Uh, at the time, I was having a blast. I really 
Dick Beauregard was uh, was our scouting director, and he was a great guy to work for. He was easy to work for. Uh, during part of that time, Merv Rettman was the hitting coach, and I got a chance. Uh, that's kind of he piqued some of my interest in hitting, just talking with him about some of his ideas. So it was a fun time to be there. Uh, way back when, when Mark McGuire was first signed, he would come over to where I was coaching junior college, and I'd throw him and a few other guys batting practice before spring training just to get them ready for spring training. So I had this long-time relationship, and it was fun. It was just a great time. Craig, you're fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Thank you for the time, and uh, let's do this again soon. I appreciate it, and thank you for uh, thinking of me. Well, now joining us, he was the National League Cy Young Award winner, the National League Rookie of the Year, a three-time All-Star, a Roberto Clemente Award winner, led the National League in wins, the AL and ERA. The great Rick Sutcliffe is with us here on A's Cast Live. How are you, Rick? You know what? I'm doing well. Uh, It's a pleasure to be with you. Um, Always enjoy talking baseball, particularly with, uh, you know, a couple of teams that, that have a chance to win it all. Yeah, it's exciting times. I, I mean, it's the only thing that's you know keeping us going during these trying times. But the A's winning and playing every day and winning the division for the first time since 2013. But what I've been saying to everybody is this is truly a tournament. And in a tournament, everybody has a puncher's chance. Chris, you're exactly right. And, you know, the thing I think about with everything that's gone on um, since spring training was shut down and all of a sudden we start back up and then Miami has problems and St. Louis has problems. I mean, I, I got to be real honest with you. There was a lot of doubt, I think, and, and a lot of our minds as to whether we would get to this point. And, um, you know, uh, we, we were talking about it earlier, how everything's different. Um, you start off, the, obviously, the very first thing is uh, playing a sport without fans. Um, it, it just doesn't seem to make any sense whatsoever. Um, as Tim Kirchin was writing earlier today, it's, for a lot of people, it's just not fun. But I'll be real honest with you. When, when finally we had a live sporting event on television, and it was golf, probably, I don't know, three months ago or whatever, I'm normally a guy that will go play golf, and then I'll, I'll tape it and come back and watch it later on in the evening. I sat there and watched all four days, every moment of it, because I missed it that much. And, you know, Chris, like we were talking, even though uh, I'm going to be down in my basement broadcasting the game tonight um it's an honor to be a a part of something like that a small part uh bringing a live event to somebody because i know how much i enjoyed it yeah i mean even today i was watching the uh tiger woods event where they have rory out there and uh, jt and they're showing off his new course and like, yeah, stuff that I normally wouldn't watch, I'm watching more than ever. And then I'm thinking about this. This is a really good matchup. And end of, this, end of the season, you know, we've been calling it iron sharpens iron. I think it's good for the A's, and I think it's good for both the Dodgers to be playing some stiff competition right before you hit the playoffs. What do you think of that? I, I totally agree with you. And, and the thing that's exciting for me is that, the, you know, the off day yesterday for both of the teams, so – there's a lot of guys that, that, that are going to want to get their at-bats. They're going to go out there. Uh, we got a couple of, of outstanding right-handers on the mound, and uh, Frankie Montas, and you got Dustin May. Uh, yeah, I, I, think, I think this will be, to me, a little bit like spring training for the Dodgers and that, you know, a lot of their starters are going to want to get three or four at-bats. They know what they've got locked up. They know 
what they need to do and, and when they need to be ready to go. Uh, on the other hand, we know that Oakland's got a lot more involved. You take a look at where they're at in the standings. You're talking about the number one seed, which is possible. Right now, as we know, they sit in the third seat. Uh, you know, we know how well they played at home all year long. I, I just think that uh, this is probably a little bit bigger game for Oakland. And I think because of that, uh, I think it'll be managed that way by Bob Melvin. How about the Dodgers? I mean, they're, they're, they're a powerhouse. Their run differential is amazing. Uh, when you look at winning the division eight straight years in the National League West, of course, that's never been done. Only the Braves and Yankees have had a better run than that. But just talk about the firepower and, and what a incredible roster they have in Los Angeles. You know what, Chris? I'll give you a little key to what my part of the Open will be tonight, Okay. You mentioned the eight consecutive division title, right? Right, you got that. The first person you think of, Chris, for the Dodgers is who? Cody Bellinger. I, I mean, yeah, you think of Bellinger and what he's done, but over those last eight years, I mean, it'd be Clayton Kershaw. I know, I know yeah, you yeah. agree with that. Yeah. But think about this. It started in 2013. Remember halfway through the year when they called up Yasiel Puig? Remember oh, yeah. 14? Yeah, when, when, when D. Gordon came from their farm system with all of his stolen bases, 15, it was Jock Peterson became an all-star. 16 and 17, Corey Seager and Bellinger were rookies of the year. And 18, it was Ross Stripling who became an all-star. 19, we know last year, Walker Bueller stepped up and became a big-time player. This year, to me, the, the guy that came from their farm system that's having a huge impact on what they're doing, and we, we know this year's different than, than, than all of the others, but to me, it's Dustin May, the guy that's going to be on the mound. So to, to, to answer your question and your point to me about the Dodgers and how they've been so great over the last eight years, yeah, Clayton Kershaw has been a big part of that. But, you know, you no, know, not one person can – it's not golf. It's not tennis where you can do it by yourself. I think that farm system, bringing up and having at least one impact player every year has been the real key to the run that they're on right now. Can I steal that from you for uh, our pregame tonight? A absolutely. You throw <laughs> it out there now, and then when they hear me say it, they're all going to say that, hey, Sutcliffe stole that from Chris earlier today. Oh, uh, no, no, no. You're too great. I, I will give you the credit for it. I just, it, it is a really great point. Uh, just the depth that they've had, their 40 man roster, their minor league system. And I think that's why it's now for everybody. They need to win a title. They haven't won a title since they beat the A's in 1988. They've had all that success. The only thing they're missing is that ring. Let me throw a story at you. Um, years ago, I'm in the Yankee clubhouse opening day after they had won. Derek Jeter had won the, his fifth World Series. And Yogi Berra was there. And I was lucky that uh, I'd been on a bunch of Nike trips uh, with Derek Jeter. I was able to stay in there when a lot of the other media were, were asked to leave. And Yogi Berra walked up and, and just, you know, respectfully said, way to go, kid. Congratulations. He goes, now you're halfway there. And you know what he meant. You know that a lot of baseball fans know that Yogi Berra won 10 World Series. And Derek Jeter looked up and he said, Yogi, he says, with total respect, he goes, I just want to tell you that when you won those 10 World Series, you had to win 40 postseason games. We've already won almost 60 postseason game so to your point that you made earlier you know you think about all the titles and things that the great teams won in the past 
it's so much more difficult now. You know, you, you needed four wins back then. Then all of a sudden you needed 11. And, and I don't even know. I can't even count with the – I think it's going to be 12 or 13 wins that you're going to have to have now after you qualify to get into the postseason. So um, it's just become more difficult. But I'll be honest with you, as a fan, I, I think it's even become more exciting. Well, and I've been talking to a lot of the A's people about this because, you know, we're all at our homes. We're not traveling around like these guys are. And to think that, you know, from COVID to the social injustice to, you know, the A's potentially are going to run into a hurricane in Houston. And then, as you know, being out here out west, the air quality, this has been such a brutal season on these guys. I really hope people, whoever wins it, people don't say, ah, they only played 60 games. This could potentially be the toughest world series ever to win because you're now in a tournament plus all that stuff i brought up and you know as tim kirkson's writing that hey this isn't any fun i mean whoever wins is going to be that's going to be a tough roster right there i could not agree with you more and you know the first thing that we all think about is is what's going on in our country right now and how there are so many issues that that are far more important than playing baseball but um, I, 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 I said all along when this thing picked up again and people said, um, you know, it's not going to be the same. The World Series champion is not going to be looked at like they have in the past. Let me throw one thing else on you. In 1981, I was a member of the Dodgers. Um, all of a sudden, we won the first half. Then we went on strike for almost two months. When we came back, the team that won the second half, you know, if, if you won the first half, it didn't matter. You played the team that won, that finished second in your division. So we played 53 games, I believe. And then it, if we picked it up again, it was 58 games or something like that. And a lot of people thought that that championship was going to be tarnished. Well, no, it's not because everybody knows it was the Dodgers against the Yankees. The Dodgers were down two games to none. Fernando Valenzuela, like he had done all year, stepped up big time with, with a victory there. Uh, I, I think in a lot of ways, and I said this from the very beginning, that this year could possibly look at like 1981 was. And I know when people look back on 81, as a baseball fan, you look back on it with a lot of excitement. You, you, you still got a beautiful World Series ring, right? I did. And my wife has a beautiful pennant that goes on her neck. And, uh, you know, it, it's much fun, as much pride as I take in that one. I'll be honest with you, I, I was blessed back in 2016. I've been a guest instructor, Chris, with the Chicago Cubs since Theo Epstein took over. And I, I'm in spring training every year, and, you know, I go to Wrigley every chance I get. Uh, unbelievable that uh, before the ceremony was over, the night that everybody got their rings, the players and coaches and all, uh, Theo brought up Eddie Vedder, uh, obviously the lead singer of Pearl Jam. He brought up Eddie because he's been a lifelong Cub fan, being there in Chicago when, when, he, when he grew up. Uh, Eddie and I got a ring at the same time. So, uh, I take a lot of pride in that one. I, I know that I did everything I could to bring a World Series uh, ring to the Chicago Cubs. Couldn't get it done, but the team that's out there right now, a lot of those guys are the guys that did get it done. You know, let's end on this. Oakland doesn't get a ton of national coverage, but we've had some conversations with some players who just say, you know what, the reason why we're here." and you could really say the last couple of years, but really this year, because the year has been so tough, that Bob Melvin has been the rock for this team because there's been so many issues. You know, we don't know what guys have issues away from the field, let alone your issues with the field and all this stuff going on. But these players are saying, 
they would not be where they are right now if it wasn't for the leadership of Bob Melvin. How is he? I know he's won manager of the year three times, but how do people inside the game view him as a skipper? I think the number one thing that you think of with Bob is, is the respect that I hear from his players. And I have. I have since he took over. I think it was around the middle or towards the end of, of 2011. Uh, I think of his honesty and how he's able to be honest with players about, you know, you can do this and you can't do that. I think about how he has to have uh, a, a, a deeper bullpen than most of the other teams have to have because he doesn't have the, the big-name starters. They don't bring in, you know, the Garrett Coles and, and, and the guys like that. So he's got to be able to, to, to finish the game. A lot of times after the fifth inning where a lot of the other managers try to hold it down in the, in the eighth and ninth. But the one thing that I think of uh, about Bob Melvin is, as I thought of with a lot of former catchers who have become great managers, is that the, the two things they know, they know how to handle a bullpen because a lot of times as a backup catcher, you're down there in the bullpen. When the phone rings, you know what's going on. Those guys converse it. But he, here's two things. He knows how to get a pitcher, a starting pitcher, deep into a ball game because he's done that. And he also knows what it's like to be swinging a hot bat and to be struggling as a player. So he has the respect from both of those guys when he brings you into his office to talk about something. And, you know, he pinches, I believe, you know, again, this year, as much as anybody has anywhere at any time. But it's not because he doesn't like the person that's up there. It's because he's got a hunch in his own mind, and he's also got statistics to back it up. Rick, I grew up watching you play. So much respect, and uh, you as a broadcaster as well. We'll be watching you tonight on ESPN. Be well, be safe, and let's talk in the postseason. Yeah, you know, if the A's are in the World Series, you've, you've got my phone number. You know where to find me, buddy. Ray Fossey, how are you? Tony, I'm sorry to hear that sad news. That's, that's, that's terrible news, as a matter of fact. Yeah, yeah, I just uh, it came down a little bit ago, and uh, I just wanted to throw it out there. I know we're a baseball show, but we also like NFL, and he was greatness. I mean, when you watched him, Ray, I mean, you go back and look at those old films, him and Dick Butkus and the Monsters of the yeah, Midway. Yeah. But, I mean, I think he scored like six touchdowns in one game at Wrigley Field, and uh, he was a great player. He was all over the field. I remember just watching him. As a running back, I mean, you talk about going side to side, forward, backwards. I mean, he could elude tackles better than anybody I've ever seen. And uh, it, was, it was amazing watching him. And, man, just so many, so many great, great people have passed away in this horrible, horrible 2020 year. Can we get over it and get through it and get done with it? You know, let the A's win the World Series and let's go on, you know? Yeah, I, 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 yeah, it's it's this, this year has sucked. There's no question yeah. about it. Uh, Ray, we did this earlier in the show. So if people are just joining us, um, we started looking at some numbers of A's offensive uh, players the last X amount of games. And there's a lot of guys who are in the starting lineup that are hitting at 200 or under 200. Yeah. This offense is completely cold. County and the sad part about that, really, they've been cold since the end of last year, last season. Because if you remember going into the wild card play-in game, they did absolutely nothing offensively. And Charlie Morton and the and the Tampa Bay Rays, of course, the leadoff home run in the game didn't help. But you know, just no offense. And you know, there were a lot of hopes uh, during spring training down on Mesa, and then the shutdown, and then 
spring training point two or whatever they want to call it. And then, you know, all the numbers, uh, you start looking at the numbers and offensively. And the one thing that I have enjoyed listening to you, and I enjoy your postgame show because I, I get to pull it up on iHeartRadio now and AceCast. And so that, that's special for me as I'm driving home because, you know, I, I'm one of those that, uh, as you always say, if all of your station's not carrying it, shift over. And so I just, as soon as I leave the Coliseum, that's, I turn you on. You're, you're, you, you do a great job on that post game. And by the way, before I get Cody do an excellent job on that uh, commercial read too, by the way, that was, uh, that was very nicely done by the commander Cody. But, you know, I, I think what happens, Tony, you get the postseason, you're going to face good pitchers. And because of that, if you're not hitting and you're not making, as you say, contact, you're going to be in trouble. And the strikeouts, and, and granted, across baseball, there have been a lot of strikeouts, but your Oakland A's or our Oakland A's have been striking out a lot. A lot of things have not been going the right way offensively. And now you're starting to see maybe a little bit of tiredness in the bullpen. Um, the, the way I've looked at it personally is that a 60-game schedule, why give guys days off? And I noticed the lineup tonight, nobody, you know, everybody's playing, and, and which is good. And I, I think that's the way it should be all the way through the end of the season because, again, this is not 162 games where you're going down the final week and you've clinched a division and you arrest some guys. I can understand maybe if a guy's hurt or something. But, you know, the bottom line, I think you should play the team that's going to be out there starting next week and postseason so that there can be guys who maybe start picking it up a little bit better with the bat and carrying it into postseason because you don't want to go in relying on the long ball because that's not always going to happen in postseason because you are going to face the best pitchers, the best teams, et cetera. And I think after you, you advance past the, uh, the first round, which, you know, Tony, if you look back in 12, 2012, when the A's won the last day of the season, it was the Tigers who had home field advantage the first two. The A's were supposed to, but because the Tigers had clinched, it gave, they, Major League Baseball gave it to them, and the A's ended up having a better record. And being down two games to nothing, all the Tigers had to do was win one game. They ended up winning game five because of the big comeback by the Athletics in game four. But, you know, again, here we are in this season. The A's won the division, and you, you think you have a five-game first round. But now, all of a sudden, you're in this uh, a, a extra wild card with the best of three. And essentially, that's what you're looking at. And then, if you win that, you can go to the division. So, you know, the way you've been describing it as a tournament, I look at it, I see those brackets, and I'm going, give me a break. This is not baseball, man. This, this is, looks like it's a uh, March Madness and seeing all those brackets the way they're, they're working out. But, uh, you know, uh, back to your original statement, offense is important, and I've always felt pitching and defense is going to win games, but you still have to, have to score runs, and, and especially if you have the pitching and defense, your pitching is going to be much better if they look on the board and they see some runs up there and, you know, we always talk about, well, the club scores seven runs. The pitchers, you know, doesn't have a lot of time. Heck with that. He's happy with seven runs because it makes his job easier on the mound. He could afford to make a mistake and give up a home run. If you don't score runs and your offense is not clicking and you make a mistake, all of a sudden you're trailing, and that's not what you want to have going into postseason. So somehow, some way, I think the players personally, uh, I don't know how you feel about it, uh, or how Billy and David and Bob Melvin and Darren Bush and Scott Emerson play this last week like it's the beginning of the postseason and be ready to go firsthand next week when postseason does begin. I'm going to make a prediction. Prediction Wednesday. You ready for this? I'm ready. 
Bob Melvin has said that Chris Bassett is going to go Friday. I bet you tomorrow for A's Cast Live, we're going to talk about how Chris Bassett is actually going tomorrow, and he will be your game one starter. I don't believe he's going to be game two. Because who would be be game one over him? Nobody. <laughs> the, right? the first game for the first game for the A's will be when on is it on Tuesday or Wednesday? Tuesday. Whoever Tuesday. whoever goes tomorrow will be in line. If you're just gonna try and yeah. keep a guy in line, whoever goes tomorrow, I mean, wouldn't you? That's right. Don't you want that that five day? Don't you want to keep that guy on track? Well, that's that's exactly right. And and we were talking last night on on the radio about who's going to be the opening starter. I said, guys, it's very simple. If you start after Thursday, you're not going to be in line because it's not going to be a fifth day by the time you get to Tuesday. And so I said, anybody leading up to Thursday, and then of course, uh, I think Ken mentioned it, and he was correct that you could throw a few innings. But I, I think it's going to be all hands on deck. And someone talked about, let, let's say you get in a three-game series and, and maybe somebody pitches uh, Sunday, for example, and, and would not be, if he's on the roster, but he's probably not going to pitch. Who's to say he wouldn't come out of the bullpen instead of having his side session in the bullpen? He comes in and gives you two to three innings out of the bullpen, out of the bullpen in in the game instead of throwing in the bullpen. That's what AJ Hinch in 2017. What he did, he took a lot of the starters to the bullpen, and they came in and they were lights out. It takes them a little longer to get ready because if they're starters, they have their routine that they go through, and they can take their time and be ready to go based on what the routine is. But, uh, you know, in a, in a three best of three series, you know, which is more important, game one, game two? You know, it could be either one. The Yankees, you think back to the flip by uh, Derek Jeter, and, you know, all of a sudden, Mariano Rivera comes in and pitches two innings, but it seemed like game three of a five-game series is the most important game. So does that make game two of a three-game series the most important? I'd say yes. I'd say it's very important because, if you win game one, you have a chance to close it out in game two. If you lose game one, you have a chance to even it up by having one of your better pitchers pitch game two. So uh, I agree with you, and let's see what happens tomorrow because, um, you know, let's say Chris Bassett pitches. He doesn't have to go. The A's have clinched, so he doesn't have to go, you know, 100 pitches or whatever it might be. He can just get tuned up for Tuesday's game if that's the way it is, or he could pitch his normal game because he would be on turn, like you said. Yeah, I just, do, do we have to trick it up? I mean, no. this, this hasn't worked. <laughs> it didn't work in New York. Having yeah. Mania just because you thought he was the hot hand, it didn't work. I mean, right. Chris, Chris, Chris Bassett has not pitched since Friday. So you're going right. to have him now not pitch for an entire week. Why can't Bassett just go tomorrow, have him on yeah. regular turn, do the regular? How about just some regular stuff? Not don't overthink it. You don't need to yeah. overthink it. Tony, the only thing that could change everything is that, uh, you know, everything is a matchup. Everything is uh, the opposing team. Who, who are you playing? You know, how does the pitcher match up against them? Well, if he's going to be one of your top three pitchers, does it really matter whether it's one, two or three? If, He's going to be in your top three. It doesn't matter who you play because, uh, and, and the only thing with that is it, it could go to Sunday as far as the, the seeded one, two, three, and then whomever after that. Right? It looks like right now that, that the Astros are number six. 
So if you're three, you're going to play the Astros. And if the A's end up three, they're going to play them. I think it would be great to play the Astros at home, the three games, play it at the Coliseum, because the, the A's play everybody well at the Coliseum. But, you know, wh- where, where are you putting Mike Fires in this, uh, this rotation that you have? Because I know you've been, you've been uh, really hot. I, I, I mean, I know I'm high on him. I just have a feeling they're not going to, he, I, I just have a feeling he's not going to get a start at all. Not, not in the first series. I would be surprised. So you, so you're probably thinking it's going to be Bassett, Manaya and Lazardo. Correct. Yeah. Now for me, Lazardo, I, I, I just, I understand everybody loves this stuff, plays in the postseason stuff. I mean, I get it, but I just – that's a lot of pressure. You put him out there game one? No, I, listen, I was just going to say experience in postseason is paramount, I believe. I believe it, especially let, – let's say if your club is not scoring and, and really outscoring everybody and just blowing them out of the water, which you can afford to have somebody make a mistake. But if you're playing tight games, and mistakes are critical, then you want the experience, somebody that's not going to be rattled about what happened. You had a caller last night talking about Mike Fires, and I agree with you. Houston, they, they knew everything he was throwing in Houston last year. And so, you know, whether, whether it was, well, it was just, it happened. And I said it on the air, so it's not like I'm saying something out of school. I said, they're swinging like they know what's coming. Well, they did. Mike Fires <laughs> did what he did, and they obliterated him. And then, as the gentleman said who called in, well, the A's won the next three. Yeah, because they changed everything, just like the Nationals did whenever they changed signs all the time. So, And and maybe the Astros just say, hey, we want to win game one. We don't care about two, three, and four. And and they did. And and Mike Fires gave up like nine earnings. But uh, I I don't believe that you can look at that game in Houston and deny Mike Fires the possibility of starting. Because here's a guy that has experience. When you pitch two no-hitters, that's experience, man. You know, that's, that's going nine. That's, that's knowing what it's all about. And, you know, you might have a great defensive play behind you like Laureano did last year and Robbie Votto on the home run. But, you know, bottom line, you, you know, your guys know that that veteran's on the mound. He's got a chance to win because of his success at the Coliseum like you have talked about and the numbers that you've thrown out. And, and again, I'm not trying to put words in Bob Melvin or Dave Forrest or, or Billy Bean's mind um, or, or Scott Emerson about who's going to start. They, they're going to make up their own mind. But uh, I don't think Mike Fires should be denied because of maybe somebody else. I think having experienced that myself, um, when you're playing one-run games, low-scoring games, you want the experience of somebody that can handle. And, and let's say an account of you're, you're behind 2-0. and Is he going to panic, get to 3-0, and and group of fans going, he's going to swing? Or does he come back down? You know, Catfish Hunter did that a lot, where he had nibble. And then get behind uh, uh, two two balls and no strikes. Next next thing you know, he's striking out the batter because that was the experience of the pitcher. And I think that's what Mike Fires can bring. Lazardo's got the stuff. Manaya, I mean, the, I, I think all five are capable. Maybe even six are capable of starting. But um, I, I just don't think Mike Fires should be, be denied the third year in a row of doing something in that first round. You lose you? Yeah, I'm back. And I. Problem is when you go to a the way our system works, Ray, is when you surf the internet and a video comes up, you started hearing a commercial and I couldn't get rid of it. Uh, I was looking okay. to see when did when did Jesus Lazardo last go? I was like, it was Saturday, right? So you can yeah. see Jesus Lazardo starting tomorrow, and that would mean he's game one. Yeah, yeah, 
you know, and, and you know what, if that's the case, because, you know, the newfound slider, um, you know, I, I'm looking, it, it pitched against the Giants, yeah, on the 19th, and six innings, five hits, no runs, no walks, seven strikeouts, and, you know, won the game, the A's won six to nothing, one of their, their shutouts. But, you know, he pitched well, and he said he found the slider. But, you know, it's regular season, Downing. It's regular season. And I, I just think, uh, I just, I would, I'm looking at a, a, a 50th anniversary ticket of Raleigh Fingers. It's about experience. You know, that's kind of what you want when you get to postseason. And, uh, you know, eventually the first round is the most critical because once you get past the first round, everybody has to pitch because it becomes a 5-7 and then the World Series, if you're fortunate to go there, you get the off days. But after the first round, it's straight through. So you need five starters for the second and third round considering there's no off days. So pick and choose whoever you want to the first three and be confident that those three are going to get you to the second round and then you don't have to worry about it. It's just a matter of how you're going to set them up, you know, as far as one, two, three, four, five. But, uh, you know, with no off days in the first three rounds, it, it's a critical time. But, man, I, I can't say enough about experience because, like I said, I, I've been there, I've seen it, I've caught them, and I've broadcast them. And the guys with experience, you don't see panic. And, and I think that's the biggest thing. When the guys on the mound getting the signs and making the pitch, you don't see panic. And if you don't see that, then you know guys not worried and not concerned about what's going to what's going to be happening. Yeah, because the thing that I think about when you go, well, hey, he could just throw a couple innings on Friday, or hey, he can throw a couple yeah. innings on Saturday. It's like I want to keep, I want normalcy. I want to keep because right now yeah. Bassett, that would be six days since he's thrown, and then you got Lazardo would be his normal turn tomorrow. So. Right. Whoever it is, whoever they want to throw game one, if they called me, which they're not, but if they called me and won my advice, I would say that person should throw tomorrow so they're on turn, regularly, yeah. uh, regular, normal on Tuesday for game one. And then if you have – and then whoever's going to go game two should start on game five. So he'll be on normal turn for game two. For game two. You know, they're not going to call me either, Tony. <laughs> but I, but, but I, I do agree with you because, you know, again, I go back to this shortened 60-game schedule. A starting pitcher is not going to make more than 12 starts. And you look at the times that the A's, unfortunately, have had to shut things down uh, between a, a protest in, uh, in um, um, uh, Houston and, and Arlington, Texas, and then – the shutdown of the series in Seattle. And, and all of a sudden, guys are coming back with eight, nine days in between. You need the regular turn, like you're talking about, for the the uh, the backing up your mechanics, you know, repeating your mechanics and doing those things as a pitcher. And I think that's, what's, that's what Frankie Montas is going through right now. In addition to, as another one of your callers called last night, talk about backing off of that 98-mile-an-hour fastball. You know, it is straight. It's a four-seam. And guys can hit it. And that's what happened last night in Los Angeles. The way the ball was carrying for some reason. But, uh, you know, you, you, if you take a little bit off of it and, um, you know, good things could happen. But, but I think if a pitcher gets out of whack uh, as far as too much, time, too much time in between starts, I think they're too strong in some cases. Their mechanics are off. And to me, Bassett is, is one of the most intelligent because he realizes himself that if his mechanics aren't working properly out of the windup, you'll see him go out of the, out of the stretch because he knows that will simplify his delivery. So he's smart enough to do that. 
And I think some other guys will say, okay, I'll just keep hammering, keep going, keep going. You fall behind and you get two and oh, three and one, three and two, three and oh. I mean, you're going to have guys laying on whatever. I don't care. It's a 120 mile hour fastball. They'll load up and they're going to swing at it and they're probably going to hit it hard. And, uh, but I, I just think I, I agree with you 100%. Keep them on turn because it, you're making only 12 starts, if that's the case. And, and I have to look through my book to see and, you know, they're just not making a lot of starts. And, you know, Bassett has made 10, and he's going to make one more, right? And that's, that's going to be I, it. I, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, 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 yeah, I mean, it's one thing if you wrap it up in, in 100, 162 games. But, yeah, I mean, you want to keep these guys, you know, you're, you're usually by this point, you're starting to really start to peak and feel good about yourself. So why would I only want to go three innings? I want to go my my six, seven innings. And the other thing, Ray, that I start thinking about is you still have a shot. I I, I think it's going to be tough. I mean, Tampa would have to implode, but you still have a shot to be the number two seed, not the number three seed. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. And and I I, I agree 100%. And and if you play it out, and, you know, so let's look at it this way, Tony. If you combine the lack of A's offense, and you combine a shortened season, and I just looked through my book, Montas, who was the opening night starter, made his 10th start last night. So if he goes on normal turn and starts Sunday, it will be 11. So you're looking really in a 60-game schedule less than the 12. If you start the season and every game is played at 60 games and you're, you're divided by the five, you're getting 12 starts from each starting pitcher. You know, Mike Miner stepped in, made a start, and made a few starts. So – you're looking at instead of 30 to 32, 33, 34, you're looking at 10, 11, 12 max. I agree with you. Play it out as if you're playing an extra three games against whomever you're playing starting next week. It just happens to be a very critical series. And I, I agree. You know, Bob Melvin talked about off days. Lariano got an off day last night, uh, the game off. So he had back to back games. I'm happy to see Chris Davis in there, even though. It looks like the um, Dodgers might be going with uh, bullpen because Joe Kelly's going to start yeah. instead of who, who they had scheduled. So you know, you know, you, you look at the Dodgers lineup. It's their lineup. It's the same one they had last night. I don't believe that postseason teams are going to change that much last week just because they've already clinched. I think they want to stay just like you said, stay on turn, keep you know your your rhythm, if you will, as a hitter, and just try to pick up and feel confident going into that first round because that is going to be the most critical, probably, of all the rounds a team's going to play. It's going to be fascinating to see what they do, because like like, you know, like I said, you, mean, you still have a chance at the number. I, I Even though seeding, you got to beat, everybody's going to be good. I, I still just would rather be the two seed than the three seed. So does it line up like Lazardo tomorrow, Bassett Friday, Susan Slusser has out there that Melvin's saying it's Friday, but – he can come out and just say anything he wants at this point because that, that plan could yeah. change. And yeah. you have Mania go on Saturday, so those three would line up for one, two, and three. Yeah, I, I agree. But, you, you know, but, but Tony, you, you know, you said it best. You said it best. Let them pitch. Let them, you know, I mean, you, you, you're always concerned about somebody getting hurt. But, hey, if they get hurt, they're going to get hurt anyway. But why not have them stay on turn so that when they do go into games one, two, and three, Hopefully just two in the, the first round, you get it over with, and you win the first two. But if you happen to go three, you've got three good starters. And then here we go on a five game and a seven game. But, uh, you know, I, I agree with you. Keep everything normal 
and then ride with it. And, you, you know, again, get back to 162 games, you spring training 162, yeah, guys are beating up a little bit, tired, whatever. That's one thing. But if your offense is not clicking, you better, I think, get as many at-bats as you can for as the guys that you're going to depend on in postseason. So, Manaya's going today. So, what would – yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to figure it out. Hey, hey Tata, Tata, you know what? You said it best. They're not going to call us. We can talk yeah. to them. We're blue in the face. They're not going to call us. They're going to make up their minds and all that. But uh, I, I just think that, you know, first and foremost, you look around the teams that are going to be in. And, and also, look at it this way. I think, Tata, the A's have won the division, which is what they wanted to do. Win the division. The only bad part is that it's a three-game series at the beginning instead of two teams playing as a wild card and the A's being guaranteed a five-game series. This year, that's not a guarantee because of the unfortunate season, the way things have happened. But the A's do know they're one of top. They've won the division, and they're going to play somebody uh, four, five, or six. Um, I, I, our, our, how are it going to work out? Our, our eight, seven, six, uh, as far as the, uh, the, uh, the first round. And, you know, it, it is what it is. It's not going to change. But the fact the A's did win the division, and whether it goes to the end of the season on Saturday or Sunday, and you say, oh, that's the team we're going to play, I don't think it's going to change that much between Sunday and Tuesday as to who's going to be starting. They're going to make their decision, I would think, like you, effective starting tomorrow night because that pitcher tomorrow night is going to be on the normal turn on Tuesday and then go from there. But, you know, it, it, to me, if, if there's any rest necessary, maybe it would be the bullpen. Because all of a sudden they're giving up a few runs. They're walking probably more than we've seen all year. And, you know, the, the starting pitchers probably should step up and, and go their six to seven innings and then just mix and match in the back end of the bullpen instead of having to try to, uh, to bring in guys and, and wear them out uh, because we're not seeing some good things that we've seen throughout this season from the bullpen. All right, Ray. Uh, I'm going to talk to you probably in about 40, around 40 minutes from now. That's great. How's the commander doing okay? Commander, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Ray. And, and we're, we're talking about all these game one starters. And who could be the game one starter for the A's? I don't know if, any, if either of you guys saw this. Mike Clevenger, the guy that the uh, Padres acquired, uh, he left his start early with a, it was like biceps uh, tightness. There, the fear is he might not even pitch in the playoffs for the Padres. He's having MRI done. And Max Freed from the uh, Atlanta Braves left his start early. He's undefeated and hasn't given up a home run yet this year. So we're seeing a yeah, lot of uh, that. That that whole stat's crazy. No losses and no home runs allowed, and he is an he's like an ERA right around two. Uh, but it's yeah. crazy the two guys that could be game one starters going down on the same day. And here we are trying yeah, to figure out who's yeah. going to start game one for the A's next Tuesday. And you know what, Townie and Cody, I think back in the seventies, and I know people get tired of me talking about it. Catfish is starting Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> Catfish is starting Tuesday. If not, if he has to win to get us in there, then it'd be Holtzman or Vida or Blue Moon. I don't care who it's going to be because have a lead in the sixth inning and Raleigh's going to come in and close it out with three innings. So, you know, <laughs> there's no big issues, you know. But, but you know, it's fun to talk about and it, it's fun to, to do and, and, and kind of, uh, you know, all fans. And, and, again, I enjoy your post game because fans call in and, you know, this is my idea. This is what I think the A should do. You know, nobody's going to listen to anybody because the powers to be are going to make the decision. We're going to find out sooner than later. But um, I, the thing that I agree with you most importantly is that let them 
play as if it's just another start on Tuesday. Whoever's in line starts tomorrow night, and they'll start on Tuesday. Let the offense get their bats, you know, and if it's, if it's a blowout one way or the other, I just think they need to be competitive all the way through the end of the season. Take the normal one day off, and let's start on Tuesday. Ray, let's end on this. Do you think it's a possibility they don't know yet? Uh, yeah, I do. Because if, if they're waiting to see who they're going to play, then uh, I, I think that's it. I, I, I'd say that, and you know, that's why I say it could go down to Sunday, but I don't believe you can, you can have, because what you said is true. Whoever starts tomorrow is in line to start. You can't have somebody pitch on Sunday and say, oh, we're playing, let's say we're playing the Indians at Houston. We want that guy to pitch. You can't because he's not going to come back with one day rest. You know, so I, I'd say that probably like you said, by tomorrow, they probably will have determined who's going to be starting uh, unless they decide to go a few innings for a guy. But uh, to your point, I mean, you look, you look at the innings pitched by pitchers and, you know, let them pitch. Because, again, when you're playing on a 60-game season, 60 games, you know, that's, that's just a little less, what, a little, a little over a third? I mean, it, it's, it's unbelievable how quickly it's gone. And here we are in postseason. So, you know, it's almost like you look at October as regular season, except if you lose the first two out of three, you're going home. Or three out of five in the next, you're going home. Or four out of seven in the next. So uh, there, there's more pressure. But I like the fact that there are certain guys, and I go back to Mike Fires. He's, he's a veteran. He knows how to pitch. And how many guys look to him when he takes the mound as they feel that he's got a chance to win? And to me, that says a lot about Mike Fires. Ray, have a great call tonight. I'll talk to you very shortly, my friend. You guys take care. Vince Catronio. What's up, Tony? How are you? Good, buddy. How are you? Well, congratulations on a great year with this club winning the uh, American League West. You guys did a great job listening to you every night. Well, Tony, we have absolutely nothing to do with it, as you know. And it's it's been under different circumstances for everybody. We appreciate uh you know, the fans' understanding of what we're dealing with, you know, much like for yourself. I mean, you're a fixture around the batting cage. You're a fixture right next to the dugout. That's different for you as well, and you've stepped up and you've put together tremendous shows with tremendous guests as always. It's it's a very different year and just fortunate to uh, enjoy the product that's on the field, and we'll just see how far they can go. You know, we were just talking about the alternate site, and, of course, you did quite a few interviews from the alternate site, and it was just so important that, you know, the, these older guys that were either going to help you this year or maybe more importantly, they're going to help you next year, make sure that they stay sharp. And then these young kids, you don't want your top prospects to, to lose a year, let alone Vince. I don't want an 18-year-old who I've paid millions of dollars not being around me and my coaches. I want to I want to have my hands on them. I don't want them back home with their buddies. I just think the alternate site was so important. What did you learn about the alternate site with all those interviews? Well, just having a routine and trying to keep those guys in routine, uh, giving them access to maybe more uh, – technology, Rapsodo and uh, Edgetronics and the other things they've got down there. And I think also it gave guys, you know, let's say like a Grant Holmes, uh, a chance to tinker with some of his grips and, and find, uh, you know, ways to, to uh, get more success. I think, you know, a kid like Tyler Soderstrom, who we had earlier on this year, the number one pick, here's a teenager, and he's catching bullpens with A.J. Puck and uh, Paul Blackburn, guys that have big league experience. 
infielders like Nick Allen or around coaches like Bobby Crosby, you know, rookie of the year and an accomplished major league player, uh, a teammate like Eric Campbell who has some big league time with other clubs. I think that's invaluable for those players. And I, quite frankly, Townie, we don't know what the roster is going to be coming on Tuesday, 28 players. We know that probably one or two starting pitchers won't be on the roster. You hope that Chad Pinder is activated and that, that takes up you know, a spot for them. But there might be a spot still for somebody from that group that we don't know yet that could be a, a pinch runner or a defensive replacement, uh, something that could just give Bob Melvin another tool in the bag to potentially use in a key situation. I think that'll still be fascinating. And we're hoping to talk with Ed Sprague this weekend, you know, the final uh, you know, kind of wrap-up of San Jose, and, and now with instructional league going on, the A's director of player development, and uh, get, a, get that kind of tied in a bow and, and see how it went uh, for the entire year. Yeah, if you're going to be coming from the alternate site, you're going to have to get to Oakland real quick because you're going to have to join the bubble. Well, those guys are already in it. They're in the bubble already. Uh, we don't know the 12 players that were uh, given to uh, Bob Melvin's group. Some clubs have released that information. The A's have not. And that's not just their preference at the moment. I'm sure we'll find out at some point. But that's kind of where it is right now. So those guys are they're around it. I don't know how they're spreading out everybody in clubhouses or what kind of time they're actually getting on the field, if any, or getting a chance to throw bullpens uh, if you're some of the pitchers, but they're with them right now. Yeah, Emo told us there's six pitchers and six position players. Okay. So there's, there's definitely some options there. And look, as, as Bob has told you, he's told Ken as well, you have to have, you have, to have that with you you know, and number one, to determine what your roster is going to be and see if there's somebody there that can help you immediately. And then if there is an unfortunate incident with an injury in the series, you have to have somebody already there in place uh, quarantining with the rest of the group and put them on the roster. So there's, there's some things that, have, that they have to have to their avail, and I think that's why it's all been put together like that. How do you like this series for the A's where they're taking on the team that is the favorite in Vegas, uh, they're the Dodgers. They've been to the, they've won their division eight straight years. Just that old iron sharpens iron right before the season ends. Yeah. And they get Walker Bueller tonight. He's off the, uh, IL, uh, he's going to pitch. He hasn't pitched in a while in September, like two weeks, but he's going to get the ball. And they're hoping to get six innings out of him. I just talked with Dave Roberts, the manager of the Dodgers for a total access later on. He's got his starting lineup in there. And he said, look, We've got two days off after the regular season. I think it's imperative to keep our guys sharp and driven right now. And so you're not going to see one of those uh, kind of day-after lineups, so to speak, where you've got all the extra guys getting starts and the regular guys just watching. And it sounds like uh, Dave is trying to keep these guys pushing forward. And we all know the pressure that the Dodgers are under with a team that was considered by many to be the best. And, you know, they, they're in a dangerous spot. You know, they're going to open up at home for those three games, two or three games with no fans in their ballpark, and a lot of pressure if they're facing the Reds and they get Trevor Bauer, they get you know Sonny Gray in that first game, and suddenly the Reds win that game. You talk about really ratcheting up the heat over there. There's going to be a lot of that going on. So I think they know what's at stake, uh, and they have to be ready for that kind of pressure. Yeah, I mean, Vinny, this is going to be wild. I mean, this, this, wild, get, this wild card, uh, two out of three, everybody's got a shot. I mean, this is going to be must-see TV. I agree. I mean, I, and look, somebody in one of these series is going to be uh, toppled that I don't think people expected to have happen. I don't know where it's going to come from. I'm not saying that an eight's going to be a one or, or, or a seven's going to be a two, 
But there's going to be some drama, and especially you know, starting on Wednesday when all eight games are going on in both leagues, because the American League starts on Tuesday and the NL starts on Wednesday. It's going to, you know, it's look. We we all had our brackets out. We all picked Virginia to win, or we all had, you know, I wonder if uh, you know, if Davidson can slide their way into the Sweet 16. And I can get some upset points along the way. There's going to be something like that happening. It's it's a one-off thing. 16 teams in a 30 team league is a one-off because of all the things that have happened uh, in the country and certainly to the sport in 2020. But I think it made perfect sense for this year to create that kind of excitement. And I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Who's going to be George Mason? Who's going to be Liberty? Yeah. <laughs> UMPC. Who's going to be Princeton? Who's going to have the back cut to the, to the hoop to, uh, to upset somebody? And I tell you, there's, there's enough good pitching out there for one or two games that makes it interesting for a lot of clubs. Yeah, there, there's no doubt about it. And I, I, it's going to, to me, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. And you know, the, the big question we have now is who are the three and what's the order? I don't know when the A's are going to announce it. Fires is going tonight, but I don't think he's going to be one of the three. Uh, Bassett's going tomorrow. He is going to be one of the three. Uh, how do you think it plays out? Well, I, I think it's a great it's a great mystery right now. I mean, Manaya can start game one, second straight year. He's starting the first game of the playoffs for the A's. It turns out, of course, he was the only one last year. A lesson learned for Sean. I like the way he's pitching right now. I think he's focused. I think he's committed. I think he trusts the fastball more now to go along with the changeup and the slider. More fastball changeup and the sliders there is the complimentary third pitch. If Chris Bassett throws two innings on Saturday against uh, Seattle, you know, two or three innings, and that's like 40 pitches, like a, a side, if you will, then suddenly for me, it opens the door that he could pitch game one because he's on, he's on turn to start game two. And then what do you do with Jesus Lazardo? I mean, Jesus would start, uh, you know, one of the games over the weekend, or do you just pitch him out of the bullpen for a couple of innings and then let that mystery kind of, you know, marinate and figure out where you would use uh, Lazardo in the postseason in that opening round? I personally would like to see Manaya Bassett, and Lazardo, and I have absolutely nothing to do with it. They've got combinations. I'm with you, though. Mike Fires deserves opportunities to pitch. I mean, he's been a winner in this building. He's been a winner as an athletic. He's a veteran that, that just gets the job done. He knows how to pitch around hitters. He knows how to work certain situations. And I think, I mean, I, certainly if the A's advance, he will get his turn. And, I, and I'm hopeful that not only does he get his, get his turn, but he gets, he gets a chance to prove really how important he has been to this rotation when we talk about the, the stuff of Lazardo and the stuff of Montas and the competitiveness of Bassett. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to sleep on Mike Fires. I think he deserves, you know, some October opportunity to to move forward with his club. Yeah, I I, I know you know how I feel about it, and I've been giving out these numbers, and people rather people rather talk about velocity than win. So I mean, it, it is what it is. Where are you right now with Frankie Montas? Because the end of the season for him has been sporadic, hasn't been great, but we know how good he was at the start of the year. Well. He's a starter in the second round, but I think he's in the bullpen in the first round. And I think the A's could use him for an inning or two and, and use that dominant stuff. Uh, he's got certainly more experience than a, than a Jordan Weems, who's a rookie, although Weems has been very good for the athletics. But you know, maybe the stage might be, might be better suited, or they would say, look, this is what Weems has done for us in this uh, early long relief role. Uh, this is what Montas has looked like as a starter here for the past month. 
do we want to do we want to gamble on that, or do they say JB Wendelkin's our first long man out in the third inning, and then start piecing it together the rest of the way? And then if you do that, how much of the quote unquote plus relievers are you using in a game where you're trailing to try to play catch up to win? And how does that affect you moving forward in the rest of the series? It, it, it's uh, a lot of game planning for Bob and for Emo and for David and Billy and the analytics staff trying to decide, you know, how do you map out a game? Because they do talk about scenarios. What if this happens in this game? Where are you going next? And how does that affect the next game? I think those are things that uh, discussions are ongoing. Can, discussions will continue through the weekend. And, we'll, you know, we'll find out, you know, maybe late Monday on uh, what direction the A's are going to go in. And then, then the fun begins on Tuesday. We don't know what time they're even playing. Are the A's yeah. going to be an, an early game? Are they going to be a late game? Are shadows going to be a, a factor here, too, depending on the start time? There's a lot still to be considered. Would you rather play a team that you haven't played this year that doesn't have a great offense, but they got really good pitching? Or would you rather play a team who you know all so well and you've dominated dominated them at home at the Coliseum, meaning do you either want Cleveland or Houston? Right. I, I, I understand what you're saying, and it reminds me of uh, 2006, Tony, from this standpoint. Because the A's, the Tigers, the Yankees, and the Twins were the four teams. Nobody wanted to go to the Metrodome. Nobody wanted to face Johan Santana in that environment. Nobody wanted to play the Yankees. You know, in their environment, still in the old building, which was, you know, a tremendous advantage for them, much more than what they've got at the new Yankee Stadium across the street. And what turned out is that the A's went up there, they won two in Minnesota, and they swept the series, and the Tigers took down the Yankees. So what you think is, is expected to happen may not necessarily happen. So uh, to me, I'm, I am concerned on fronts on both teams. I, I, I think the experience still on the chip on the shoulder of the Astros does mean something, even though they have been struggling mightily offensively. And maybe they just kind of, maybe they just kind of filter, they kind of filter away. And this is the kind of year that they just want to be over and be done with and, and, and say goodbye to 2020, even though they will still, whatever fans are going to be around in 2021, they'll hear their wrath because they didn't get a chance to do it this year. The other side of it is you get Bieber and you get Plezak in one and two, and, man, you're, you're, in, a, you're in a battle, and you're going to you're gonna have to have strong pitching to keep toe-to-toe with those guys. But if you take down a, a Shane Bieber and you win that first game, you talk about confidence moving forward. I mean, that, is, that, would, that would be a huge lift, and we have to see uh, how the A's will react offensively because, I mean, their offense, as we know, it's just enough. Last night was an example of a, of a just enough event where they, they found it from somebody. It turned out to be Ramon Laureano's turn last night to get the big home run against Blake Trident, who had not given up a home run, who pitched a, a ball that was probably off the plate inside, and he still managed not only to make contact and barrel it, but he kept it fair down the left field line. So there's going to be some unexpected moments, I think, starting on Tuesday, and the A's hope to have enough of those to get them to exhale a little bit and get to the next round and and see what happens there. All right, let's end on this. If people don't know, Vince Catronio follows all of baseball, just not the American League West, just not the American League. He follows it all. So I'm going to take you over to the brackets of the National League, and I'm taking the Dodgers off the board. We're in Vegas at Caesars Palace. Dodgers off the board. Who, who who do you like in the National? And I know we still have ways to go, but who do you like in the National League other than the Dodgers? Well, I mean, it's it's interesting because the Padres have taken a hit 
with Mike Clevenger. To what extent, we don't know. I, to me, until Clevenger pitched just one inning yesterday, they were the second-best team. The Cubs are not scoring runs. Uh, Atlanta has pitching injuries. They're minus Cole Hamels. Uh, Cincinnati has pitching, but not a lot of offense. Uh, I mean, if you're asking me to pick somebody, I, I, I would still say the Padres. I think they've got a, enough cachet going, and Machado, to his credit, uh, has really stepped up, especially with Tatis Jr. struggling down the stretch. Uh, Machado's kind of taken the bull by the horns, and he's become the leader that they're paying for. I think that's important. So if you're asking me to pick one, it's going to be the Padres. And the bad thing about that, Tony, is that they're going to face the Dodgers in the second round. So the chance of having a Dodger-Padre NLCS of what I think are the two best teams, I think are, is something that, to, that we're going to miss out on. Atlanta has a very good offense. You know, they've got an MVP candidate, Freddie Freeman. But they're a little shy in their pitching, and I think they're going to rely on a couple of young guys pitching-wise to kind of get them through. That would be quite a story if the young pitchers for Atlanta actually picks up the pace for them and then takes them to the next level. And look out, Commander Cody, you're Marlins. <laughs> yeah, the, the, Vince, the Marlins, the, the Marlins, I talk, I'm the only person on the face of the planet that said that the Marlins are going to make the playoffs this year. And, it, I mean, they're holding on to that second spot in the NL, in the NL East, so I'm hoping that they – can lock it up here soon, and you're right about the Braves and their young pitching. Uh, Max Freed got hurt what yesterday, but they're hoping he comes back. If he can step up with some of their other guys, uh, they're going to be pretty dangerous in the uh, in the National okay. League. If Ian Anderson pitches for them, and he's asked to, to to carry some of the load, that's going to be a story. The interesting thing about the Marlins, Cody, you know this: they finished the season with the Yankees, right in New York. So you've got Don Mattingly taking his team to New York to try to. A, get in the postseason that maybe affect where the Yankees are in the postseason as well. I think that's going to be uh, an interesting story this weekend. Hey, he can just take his ball, uh, his ball club out to Monument Park and show him his monument. <laughs> yeah, let's take a tour. <laughs> oh, so if you guys didn't know how good I was, why don't we just go out there and uh, let's just go see? Well, I think, I think this weekend is going to be interesting. The National League is still out, like you mentioned, Tony. They've got so many things that have to be resolved the back end of, uh, of the seating, plus who's going to finish in second place in the East and who's going to finish in second place in the Central, which affects the seating as well. It's going to be fun. I think this is, for all things considered, for fans not being able to come here and, and looking at a, you know, a, a sea of cutouts in all these stadiums, I think fans have been listening to the games, have been watching the games, uh, have understood that there has been some drama developed on the field. And to me, most importantly, you mentioned this last night, over 200 players making their Major League debut this year. And a lot of them are young, exciting players. And I think that's been fun to, to see develop uh, in 2020. Have a great call tonight. Thank you, Tony. Emo, it is great to have you on Ace Cast Live once again. First off, congratulations, AOS champs. I know you have to be very proud. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a great accomplishment for the organization, you know, to go out there and, and get the division this year. It's, you know, it's a, it's a tough uh, – season this year in my opinion uh but the guys kept it together and and we went out and we played hard and and it you know winning the west showed uh, how hard we played you know i think about bob melvin yourself all the coaches you know you're trying to guide these players through this you're trying to keep them safe you're trying to keep yourself safe and the other thing that i think people don't really think about is mental health this has not been easy. What you guys went through in Houston with COVID-19 all around. I mean, there was the potential hurricane, the social injustice, and then the air quality. I mean, 
Just talk about just how mentally tough this has been for you guys, the coaches, and the players. Yeah, you know, it's, it's been a grind. Uh, I think, you know, the one thing that, uh, is, that's been good for us is the fact that we get to do what we love and play baseball and uh, coach baseball. But, uh, you, know, you know, like you said, the mental grind, the, the constant wearing of the mask, the, the being uh, uh, self-aware, you know, myself being high risk, I'm just always trying to be uh, aware of my surroundings and my situation. Uh, I feel good about it. It's been really good. The guys have been good. But uh, like you said, it's, it's, it's been a grind. You know, it's the daily testing. It's getting up and doing our home screening stuff. It's just, uh, just you know, it's, it's now, I guess, becoming a routine. And, you know, now we're, you're, we're quarantining. Um, I haven't been able to. I, didn't, I haven't seen my wife or my dog since, you know, July 1st. So that's kind of. At times you get a little depressed and like you're missing your family, but, uh, you know, the, the phone calls are always good. And, uh, but, you know, doing what we love, uh, baseball, and then you put into perspective about, you know, what our, our guys in the military do each and every time they go out on deployment, you know, they go out, they don't, they don't get an opportunity to really see their family. So I think about them, you know, if they can go out there and grind for our country, uh, you know, we can go out there and grind for baseball. Yeah, well said. And, you know, now that you guys have clinched the AL West and you have six games left, when do you start meeting about how you're going to work the starting pitching for the first wild card series? Well, you know, I, I think there's, uh, you know, one, we want to make sure that everybody still stays in routine. Uh, they get their uh, pitches going. Uh, they get their pitch counts where they needed to be. Uh, but we also still need to go out and compete and, and you know pitch the games. So uh, you know I'm sure we'll we'll have a little bit more talk after the Dodgers series about you know what's going on and and where things line up with everybody. But uh, right now for me it's just making sure everybody feels good with their deliveries, feel good with the ball leaving their hand. But most of all they still go out and uh, you know we do have these games left and they got to compete and. Uh, the good thing about a season is the season isn't over with until, until it's over with. And these guys, you know, they still want to put up some numbers and still do the things that they do. But number one is go out there and compete each and every day. How much is the decision going to be where you may have – so you got, you got you know, you got six starters. You, you only can throw three. Some guys, though, can come out of the bullpen and give you length if you need it in the bullpen. How much will you decide on who starts and who doesn't based on if a guy can come out of the bullpen? Well, you know, I think in the playoffs, you know, the gloves are off. Everybody, even if you've never come out of the bullpen, you know, you just want to pitch in the playoffs. So I'm not worried about that. You know, I know that the front office will do their due diligence and uh, check the matchups and, and check and, and talk to us and see what's best for the organization moving forward in the playoffs. And, and, you know, that's, that's where the numbers and the analytics can come in and help. And then that's where conversations come in and help about, uh, you know, who we feel is up for the task, you know, mentally and physically at that point in time. So, you know, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there, I guess. Chris Bassett told us yesterday, he says, I don't care where I pitch. I just want to pitch. That's the mentality you really have installed in your guys. I think you have to be proud, Emo, when your guys are basically uh, 
reflecting what you want and what you're directing them that, hey, listen, I just want to be a part of the team and I just want to help us win? Well, I think it's just the character of the guys that we have. You know, I, you know, I, I talked about the other day, Liam Hendricks coming in one time in a tie ball game. He got through the inning. The game was still tied. And he's like, I got this. I got next inning. And he wanted to keep going. Uh, Deekman wants to keep going. You know, the more important the games are, the more these guys are like, hey, if I got to throw three and four innings, I'll do that. You know, and, and I've had guys already telling me, hey, I'll just throw as many pitches as you need me to throw to win ball games. And if you're looking at, at winning ball games at some point in time, you know, that may happen. So it, it's, it's encouraging that these guys want the baseball. Uh, and they take the baseball when they're asked. And when the phone rings, they just get up and they go out and do the best they can, and that's fun to watch. Your bullpen has been the best in Major League Baseball. Just what a godsend. Talk about these guys and what, they, what they've what they done for you day in and day out in this quick six-game schedule. Well, you know, they, they, they don't complain. Uh, they work hard. Uh, they take the baseball when it's given to them. They go out and they just go as hard as they can, as long as they can. And uh, I think there's a lot of healthy competition amongst everybody in the bullpen with one another, and that's fun to watch. But, you know, like I said, when you want the baseball, uh, that's showing a lot of confidence. And we have a lot of confidence in these guys. And, you know, early in the season, it was, you know, fun to kind of build these guys' confidence because our starters weren't built up. So some of the guys had to go two innings earlier in the year. And uh, it's just been, a, you know, a, a real treat to watch these guys go out and compete each and every day. I mean, for God's sakes, Jake Diekman has not given up a run. He has a zero ERA. Well, you better knock on some wood. I, I, I'm i knocking on wood right now. <laughs> that's, like, that's, like, that's like telling the free throw shooter he's 99%, you know, uh, and then he bricks the free throw. But, uh, no, you know, he just goes out and takes the ball, does what he's supposed to do. Uh, he's well-prepared, you know. He pays attention to detail. And, uh, you know, he's got electric stuff. And when you can put that all, the analytics with electric stuff together, that generally forms a good game plan. And, and uh, once he executes his pitches, he's going to have a lot of success. Have you just noticed – a big difference in mentality for Chris Bassett, the way he's going out there with such great confidence and just, he he's turned into a winner. Yeah. You know, I mean, he, he's, he's always had that great confidence. You know, I, I remember seeing that back in 15 and now, you know, he has that confidence, like you said, of being the winner of like, Hey, I'm here to win the game. I'm not just in the big leagues now pitching. I'm here in the games to help us win and get to a position where we want to be. And, you know, that's that's a great teammate in him that he wants to go out, take the ball whenever possible, and do the things that, uh, you know, it takes for us to win games. You know, a guy that I keep talking about, because, you know, some of my callers, you know, because Mike Fires doesn't throw 98 miles an hour and he doesn't have the full-on electric stuff. For some reason, they don't seem to trust him. But I have these numbers here. You know, you tell me. Mike Fires in 52 starts with the A's is 26 and 8. And in games that he pitches, the A's record in games Mike Fires starts is 38 and 14. I mean, is that any good? I mean, all, all, all when he starts, you guys win games. The numbers prove that. Yeah, I think, you know, he goes out there and competes and battles with what he has. 
And like you said, you don't have to have electric stuff to be really good. You know, he's very competitive. He goes out there. And the one thing that that number shows me is that he keeps himself in the game longer than the opposing starter keeps themselves in the game. And that's why we win games. He, he out duels the starter that day of the other team. And whether, whether he gets the W or the team gets the W, you know, he keeps us in the game to win those games. You know, there's so something to be said about that as, as, as we've, we, we've come up with like simple numbers. I, like last year, if an A's pitcher went seven innings, the ball club was 16 and four. There is something to be said. If your starter goes longer, you have a much better chance to win the game. Well, the one thing on that is, is uh, you know, when your starter goes longer and your bullpen goes shorter, you keep all your relievers fresh. So, you know, you just say you throw two guys, your starter goes seven, you throw two relievers. The next day, your starter goes seven, you throw two relievers. You're not having to be to throw those same relievers, you know, back-to-back days all the time. You know, if your starter goes five, generally, if you look at how bullpens run, you, you, you go five, there's one inning relievers. So you bring in four relievers. You go seven, you bring in two relievers. So I think, you know, a reliever that, uh, that uh, can go two innings is very valuable because of the starters that can only go five, but that starter who can go seven is, is huge because that means it cuts back on the, uh, the innings out of the bullpen. Yeah. Commander Cody just texted me this. You guys are 17 and one in games this year where your starter goes at least six innings. So if you get six, there's a good chance you are going to win. Now, now a guy that went last night and he just ever since, the neck and the back, Frankie Montas hasn't looked the same. So is he, I know the velocity is still there. Is he fully healthy? And can you get, I mean, he's got what, one more start before the postseason. What's going on with Frankie? Well, I think, you know, uh, when you run into that little injury issue, uh, maybe it, it hits you with your, your confidence. You know, he hasn't come back to games. He's come back. He's got hit around a little bit. Maybe he's lacking some confidence. So. I think it's all about confidence right now and, and, and making his pitches. And, uh, you know, you know, I can't really answer whether he's healthy. I mean, like you said, the, the ball looks good uh, coming out of his hand. Uh, it's exploding out of his hand. Uh, the one thing, I, I, you know, probably the split hasn't been as good this year, and that could contribute to that. But other than that, you know, his stuff's pretty good. It's just a matter of, you know, staying confident and going out there and being confident and knowing what you can do and not worrying about what you can't do. You know, the odds are if you're able to win the wild card series, uh, you're going to be playing at Dodger Stadium. How beneficial do you think it is that you guys are playing at Dodger Stadium right now and that you could be basically back there in a week? Um, you know, I, th- I think it's good just to get the environment, to, you know, the- see how the field plays uh it looks like it plays pretty quick last night you know it was kind of a launching pad for me i thought we made a couple of good pitches and it just got up in the air and left the yard but um you know it's good because you know you always want to find that the, the surroundings and be around it it's like uh, when i learned earlier about giving a speech try to go out to the place you're going to give a speech first and see the room before you actually go out there so uh you know, it's good to be in this uh, stadium and, and see what it's all about, especially for the guys who haven't been here. You know, I got to tell you, one of the things I miss is doing this show, A's Cast Live from the field. 
and you walking by every day heckling us. I miss that every day. I've, I've missed that. Well, I'm, I'm still waiting on the answer about the bats, you know, how hard these bats are. I mean, we used to break seven, eight a game. Now that you break one or two, everybody's happy, you know. Everybody talks about the ball, remember. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting on the bat. It's like we're playing with aluminum bats nowadays. You know, that's a great – that's one of the great conspiracy theories going right now. And you were the only guy that I've ever heard bring that up. Well, I mean, my, my, my stuff wasn't very good, and I broke four or five bats a game. These guys' stuff's electric, and we're lucky to break two or three. Yeah, think about that. we got a bunch of guys – I mean, like that kid last night, May, is throwing 99 miles an hour with movement. And you got Frankie throwing 96, 97. You know, Jesus Cesaro goes out there and throws 97, 98. Yeah, how in the hell are we not breaking more bats? Uh, that's that's the question that we got to find out. All right, we're on it, Emo. Congratulations on being right, ALS guys. champs. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, guys. Appreciate it. Now joining us from the Los Angeles Dodgers, it was always great having him on A's Cast Live, and it's great to bring him on from Dodger Blue. Blake Trinan is with us. Blake, it's great to talk to you. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Been a while. Yeah, it's been a while, but uh, you know, let me just tell the story. What was always cool when we were doing the show next to the A's dugout, how you would always come by and sign baseballs for the fans. Not a lot of guys did that. You know, you were always one of the most gracious A's that we've had. Well, thanks. I know that uh, there's probably a lot of people out there that take for granted the platform we have. I know if I was a kid and I was listening to a radio show or or any any age really had a chance to have something like that, it'd, it'd go a long way. So, you know, fans make it make the game worth it for us. So anything we can do to give back is totally worth it. As a reliever coming out of the bullpen, you know, usually the fans and the roar of the crowd, and I think either Oakland or Dodger Stadium, and you got all those fans, and now the fans are not there. Has it been hard for you to find adrenaline on some nights? No, I mean – it is different. I mean, you never know how like fans being in there affects you until you go through a year like this. And, you know, I, I, I seriously do think that a lot of guys thrive on the energy that the fans bring. Um, I know I, I do, uh, but to say like it, it affects things in any way, probably, probably not. Um, but I think the people, at this level find are, are really good self-motivators intrinsically motivated. So we find ways to, to take any little thing to motivate us on the mound. And that's, that's kind of like what you, what I've had to do this year off and on, just trying to find ways to, you know, just trigger, you know, like this uh, controlled aggression of, approach to the game. So yeah, it's different for sure. We're certainly wanting fans back in the stands. You know, you've been on some really good teams and you, in your career, how do you rate this Dodgers roster versus the other really good teams you've been on? Well, um, I think it's just filled with like veteran superstars. Um, you know, Oakland had a lot of like young up and coming superstars and, um, you know, you see like just the close knit group that they were over there and like, it's a bunch of superstars here who are close knit and like being able to just mesh in young talent and like, you know, filler pieces and uh, just seeing the guys around the clubhouse. Just, I don't know, it's, it's different for sure, but um, 
you know, each team is unique to itself and um, every team is, that I've been on has had an identity that has made them successful. So um, I, would, I would just say the biggest thing that I see over here is just like from top to bottom, there is a comfort level from the GM all the way down to like the first day in the big leagues type player um, where, I mean, it's not just business. It's like, which is nothing wrong with that by any means. So I'm not saying like, it's not wrong to treat it like a business transaction and like do your job and, and move on. But like, more of how can I connect on a personal level and make these players super comfortable? That's that to me is what stands out here. Um, but when you, when you talk about the, the quality of people, I mean, you know, here in Oakland are probably, um, I can't even just say here in Oakland, everywhere I've played has had just great quality people. I've been very blessed. Well, the one thing I do know is you still have a bunch of buddies over in that A's clubhouse and, and I've mm-hmm. talked to guys in that bullpen about you and, and you, and I mean, just talk, talk about that, seeing these guys for the first time, because you, you, you got some close friends in, in the other clubhouse. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely weird. I've never played against, uh, you know, the Nats after being traded away. Um, so, it's, you know, this is the first time I've ever had to like suit up and see the uh, team you played for across the field. Um, super pumped for them, you know, to have that chance to, win the division, which they have now, and then, and then not be stuck in a one game play. And, you know, like that's, that's great for that group of group of guys and for the coaching staff. And so, um, you know, just right now it's, you know, you try to like interact and, and see how they're doing, catch up, like, you know, reminisce a little bit, but then once that's over with, it's, you got to compete. And I know that's how they approach it when they look across at me. And that's how I approach it when I look across at them and, Wish them all, all the luck, but, uh, you know, we have our own goals over here to accomplish, and that's that's really what we're trying to just put our head down and focus on. When you think about this series, as you guys have the best winning percentage, the A's are the third best winning percentage, how good is this for both franchises to have a tough, almost playoff-like series before the actual playoffs start? Um, you know, it's – I don't know if you can say any series has been easy this year because there's so much there's so much pressure on each game with it only being a 60-game season. You can almost argue that for a lot of teams, the whole year has felt like a like a playoff. And um, you know, but playing playing you know these elite quality teams late definitely has got to be you know a benefit for both programs. Like, I guess not programs, Jamie my college. No, both both the uh, organizations. Um, you know, moving forward, cause you're, you're gonna be playing the best. You know, I think it's cool that the that the league expanded the playoffs. The one thing that I kind of knock with the whole playoff system is, you know, the A's win their division. There's no benefit from winning the division or being a last place team. You know, we win a division. There's no benefit from winning the division or being a last place team because everybody's playing a three game play. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. there's no like home field advantage because you're, you know, in L.A., even though there's games being played here, we're going to Texas. Oakland, there's no home field advantage, yet they get to stay in California, which is great, but fans can't be in the stands. So, you know, there's really – it's an interesting – it's hard to criticize because, you know, the uniqueness of this season. But um, it'll be be cool to see how how both teams play out and move forward. So, what were your thoughts of Mookie Betts as a player – before this season and what are your thoughts now that you get to see him on an everyday basis 
Well, I mean, probably the same as anybody in baseball. You look at, you know, what he does on the field, and it's it's pretty incredible. But I think the thing that you miss is all the little details. Like, you know, you see the big hits, you see, like, the big arm. But, like, seeing what he does from play to play, like, keeping doubles to singles or um, people feel like they want to challenge him. And it shows time and time again, like, can't run on me. And then, like, seeing how he handles young players in the clubhouse and, you know, I always think it's almost like a like a player coach mentality, but not but not like over the top. So I think good coaches know how to get the best out of each player, and he finds ways to keep things loose and fun. And you see guys like Edwin Rios and Beatty, and like I don't know, even myself. Like I've seen him like affect me in a positive way, but just challenging the team and all of us to be better at what we do and take more diligence in like uh, how we go about our business because every out in the playoffs is magnified. Every air in the playoffs is magnified. So we just need to like continue to focus on what we do and do what we individually do extremely well. So like if, if my job is to come in and clean up an inning, like I've got to do that extremely well, focus on executing each pitch extremely well, like seeing each pitch as a hitter extremely well and making the best at bat that you can make. Like you can make in my opinion, you can have an outstanding bat and still get out, right? Like, because you're still setting yourself up for what potentially could happen next time. And so, I, I don't know, like, just, like, all those little things, like, keeping it light, challenging guys, you know, and seeing the diligence in his work and preparation. Like, to me, that's what stands out. But you don't see all of that because all you see is just how great he is on the field. And then it's just as, you know, I don't know, it's just as, it's just as great, like, seeing it from, like, a distance in the clubhouse. You know, when I think about the National League West, there wasn't one COVID positive test. And I know this season has been so tough on the players. And now you guys are going into a bubble, which makes it even tougher. But just how nice was that, that a lot of the teams you're playing, no one had a, no one had a positive test. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, I think it's a testament to how serious the players are taking it. Um, you know, I think it's I think it's a very interesting, you know, what the players signed off on when the season started. You know, like we, we we're okay with like the health protocols. Well then the health protocols are aren't what we designed. We just okayed it, right? So we go we go through these health protocols, a couple teams have these outbreaks and all of a sudden we're the ones to blame. And you know, who knows exactly what goes on, but more guidelines come out and then, you know, we're the ones that it almost just seems like, hey, we're going to stack as much on these players to carry a burden when it comes to accountability that if something does happen just because life happens, like go to a grocery store to buy food for your family and you come back and all of a sudden you have COVID. Like, what can you do? Nothing. Like, that's life. But by the way, it's the player's fault because we're not accountable enough. Like, to me, that's what I've maybe taken exception with from, like, you know, the powers at bay. You can draw between the lines if you want. but. Um, like I, I think the players have done a great job staying healthy. I think organizationally, the Dodgers have done a phenomenal job. They've had, you know, training staff and, you know, front office and coaches and players have all bought in with like, Hey, it's going to suck, but it's only going to suck for three months. So let's just grind it out. And at the end of the year, let's try to reset and see if we can't get this country back in order with this COVID crud that everybody's having to deal with, you know, because we can complain all we want, but at the end of the day, like there's people around this country that are hurting in more ways than we are. And um, like, nobody wants to hear us complain about it. 
you know, but you know, what we're dealing with is very real too. What people are dealing with aside from us is even more real in the sense that, you know, we're blessed to have a job. You know, a lot of people are still hurting from these restrictions. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think teams across the West have done a great job. I think even teams in the East have done a great job. The MLB as a whole has done a great job to me. And, um, <clears throat> you know, the play, I think the players should be, uh, you know, commended for their efforts. Well, you were always gracious with your time with us when you were with the Oakland Athletics. You're a class act. We're always going to root for you. <laughs> good luck the rest of the way, and good luck in the playoffs. And uh, best case scenario, we see it in the World Series, but we definitely will be rooting for you. All right. Sounds good, guys. Hey, thanks for having me on again. Barry, it has been a while. Uh, how have you been? It's good to see you. Things are good, man. We're, you know, holding it down in Nashville and uh, trying to stay healthy and stay, you know, stay out of the out of the mix like most people right now. So we we've been good, man. We haven't been too affected by the the COVID, luckily, but we've also been keeping our heads underwater. So, well, it's this time of the year where uh, I know you're real busy with music, but, you know, it's where we start talking about playoff baseball. And right now the A's are in this series with the L.A. Dodgers where, you know, these are two of the better teams in the game. And before you know it, going to have a day off on Monday and then start the wild card round, which is just three games. I mean, how crazy is that going to be? Whoever wins two out of three is moving on either to Southern California or to Texas. It's crazy, man. Yeah, that reminds me of back in college, like you'd play the regional, you know, the super regional and – uh yeah, it's it's cool, man. I think, you know, obviously baseball has had to adjust to these crazy times this year with COVID, but uh, the fans are in for some really good stuff here coming up. What was the playoffs like for you as a younger player and then as a veteran player with the Giants? Um, you know, I think as a young player, you always have this kind of bravado and you don't quite know what you're up against. Uh, you're just stoked to be like in the playoffs and, you know, playing on TV and people on the news are talking about you. At least that was for me. So I didn't quite know what I was up against, but you know, as a veteran player, you do know, you know how uh, unusual it is to make it to the postseason. So you really want to capitalize on that opportunity. Yeah. Cause we're not talking that you were playing in small markets. Now you're playing against the New York Yankees. You're playing against the Boston Red Sox. You were playing on the, the biggest, you know, the, the biggest stage in all of baseball when you were young and playing for the A's. Yeah, yeah, we seem to always go up against those East Coast teams, um, you know, again, which just makes you rise to the occasion because you're out there in old Yankee Stadium or Fenway, and, I mean, there's no better atmosphere for playoffs than, you know, somewhere on the East Coast with those crazy fans, man. And what do you remember back in 06 about you and Johan Santana? That was a very special time, really, for both of you in your careers. Yeah, Johan obviously was, you know, he was like the best left-handed pitcher um, he had one or two Cy Young, I think, at that point. And uh, I remember specifically in that playoff game, uh, we faced each other in the first round of the uh, division series, 06. But uh, I remember he had not lost a game at home in over a year. And so I had heard that. And, of course, you know, I didn't know if we stood a chance because he, he'd always shut us down. But Frank Thomas came up big, and uh, I think he hit two solo homers off Johan. And uh, we ended up winning two to one. 
Yeah, that was uh, – you look back at what a quality series that was, and really just about all the series you played in was such good, high-quality baseball. Sometimes they get away, team sweeps the other team, just dominant. Uh, the series you played in were always so close, and they always came down to certain pitches. They're always very exciting to watch. No, absolutely, yeah. I mean, for better and for worse, too, because we – you know, I remember in uh, 2003 – uh, we were, you know, I pitched against, uh, Pedro in game five of the division series. And unfortunately we didn't make that happen, but I remember Manny Ramirez hit a homer off me in the sixth inning, put them four to one. And, uh, I think that was very exciting for the other side's fans at that point. Um, but I specifically remember Manny literally didn't round first base for, it must've been a minute. I mean, it felt like five minutes, but dude, he was literally just like slow motion walking down. And I was so mad because I think he was just pimping that thing as hard as you possibly could. And, you know, he had a right to. It was a big homer, but still, I'll never forget that homer he hit off me. You know, before, before we start talking about this new song that you have, uh, the book Curveball, we brought you on and said, you know, how big it was for someone like you who had all the success that, that you had in your career to talk about how it always wasn't so easy and, and the things that you went through and the struggles and the demons. How has the book gone for you, and uh, has it has, has it exceeded expectations? Yeah, I mean, the book for us was just – it was a passion thing, right, for for me and, and, of course, my manager who's been helping me with this vision. But, you know, it's just something where I wanted to just be totally honest about the stories. And, you know, we see people on TV, and it's easy to um, kind of see it as a whole glamorous thing, but really on the inside, usually in somebody's head that's out there on the mound or doing something, you know, that we think is special as onlookers, there's usually some darkness in there. And so for me, I just wanted to shed light on that and really express to people what it was like for me to deal with fame and money and all the things that, you know, me and everyone else thought that was going to be, you know, uh, lead to all good things and, and eternal happiness. And, Ultimately, it um, it created a lot of obstacles and difficulty that I had to overcome, but that led to a lot of wisdom in my life. So, you know, that's one thing that I talk about with Bob Melvin or really any manager or any leader of a sports team is that, you know, you've got to manage these 25 guys now, 26 and now with COVID 28. I mean, you've got to manage not only the, the struggles that they're having there at the ballpark. But you, you got to know if your player is having issues away from the ballpark. I mean, there's so many different variables that a manager, everybody wants to think it's just about analytics and numbers, but that's not the case. You still have to have somebody manage the people and they have to be really good at it. Yeah, that's right. I think that's a, an underrated skill uh, on the manager side because you just feel like if you have talented people, uh, everything's going to go perfectly. And how many teams have we seen that, you know, on paper – uh, it's probably the most talent in the league, but it's usually the teams of the scrappy guys that just get along and um, really don't care about, you know, what, how good they're supposed to be. They're just having a great time. It's it's those guys usually that put together World Series teams. So just type in Barry Zito Curveball. You can still get the book online very, very easy, and it is a great read. Talk about this new song you have that you've written. Yeah, we came out with the song, uh, you know, I'd written a bunch of songs in Nashville over the years. And so this one, I was always attached to this song. It's called Ballpark Kids. And uh, that's the cool thing about songs, you know, is um, 
you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be written yesterday to be relevant. And uh, if it's a good song, people will connect with it. And so this was a song that, you know, I'd written over a year ago. Uh, and it was one that I'd always wanted to record. And, you know, so the timing was just right. You know, it was kind of a, a baseball season that was a little strange and no fans. And I just figured it'd be a nice uplifting thing for people that had played baseball as kids. And most of us have, you know, here in this country, we grow up playing catch with our moms or dads. And um, so the song Ballpark Kids is just about being a kid and uh, growing up on a baseball field. And uh, there's a line in the song that I love. You know, it wasn't girls, books or skateboards. It was numbers on the scoreboard. And uh, it just, you know, when you're a kid playing sports, you don't really care about anything else. And uh, you kind of have that tunnel vision. So the song's really fun. And the way it was recorded was really fun and upbeat. And, you know, it's just a feel good song. And these songs that are being timeless. How many times have you, have you heard, put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. I mean, we've been hearing that our entire careers, for God's sakes. Oh, yeah. We can, like, count on one hand, like, the baseball songs that we always heard, right? Like, um, you know, Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. Or, yeah. you know, put me in, coach. Or, uh, you know, even, uh, you know, even the Journey song, right, from uh, – you know, don't stop believing. I mean, I know that's a kind of a Giants thing too, but I just hear that song. I mean, and, and I always heard that song and it was just like, it, it fired me up to play baseball. What is it like for you as a songwriter? Cause I can tell you, I, I know you're going to like this. If I type in Barry Zito right now, it says American musician. It doesn't say major league baseball player. I, I bet that makes you proud. That's really funny. Hold on, I gotta try that. Let's see here. It did for me on Google on my Google Chrome. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, but then it's all pictures of baseball. That's funny. Um, yeah, well, you've I'm, had two careers. It's great. You know, for me, like, there's a guy that inspires me, and his name is Mike Reed. And you know, Mike Reed was a Pro Bowl NFL football guy for you know for the Bengals in the '70s, and then he ended up writing songs in Nashville, and he became a, a songwriting Hall of Famer. And so, you know, it is possible. Uh, but, you know, I think for me, you know, music being my first love, I just always wanted to to do that and spend my time doing that. And um, but it's been humbling. I'll tell you, when you're in a certain field and you do something for fun, you you always think it's going to be fun. You think you'll have that relation to it when you go into that fun thing as now your your career it can be, you know, bittersweet. There's, there's difficult days when you're doing this all the time. You know, it's not just like jamming with guitar, like cool, you know, hanging out with my friends. It's like, no, I'm approaching this very seriously. And a lot of times when you put all your eggs in that basket, I mean, it's, uh, you just have your good and bad days, you know, but overall it's great. When you hear someone sing your song and you know, it's going to be successful, what is that feeling like for you? Um, you know, that's a feeling that's really incredible. I mean, if you can write a song that somebody else is going to sing, then that means that you truly did your job as a songwriter. Um, and you know, there's, there's outside writers who write specifically for other artists and then there's artists who write for their own songs. And so that's kind of what I've enjoyed transitioning into, um, lately is uh, writing songs for myself that I'm going to cut, you know, that music that nobody's heard yet, but stuff that is much different than anything we've heard yet. Um, a little more urban, a little more pop, a little more synthesizers and uh, probably a darker lyrical content. Probably not going to be as much of a pick me up as some of my other music, but <laughs> I think I got a lot of darkness inside that, uh, that I need to put somewhere, man. So, you know, well, you know, here on Ace cast live, whether it's music whether it's a book, whatever you're doing, 
We will always help any way we can because you know what you will always mean to the A's fan base. Yeah, well, Chris, I appreciate it, man. It's always fun coming on with you. And, um, you know, I, I just appreciate the support. And it's always fun to talk baseball. I mean, to be honest, I forget. I, I actually do forget that I like have this whole other skill set that, you know, I guess it would be in coaching now, but I, it's, I can tend to forget that I had this whole other career because I'm so immersed right now, but um, it's nice to talk with you and remember all those wonderful memories, you know, on the field in Oakland. Well, I can tell you this, you know, what we've been doing with, with these like ring central or Google meet zoom calls. It's good just to see people's faces. It's one thing to hear people, but it's good to just see people good that you're doing well. Congratulations on the second career. We'll never forget your first career, but uh, keep going on the second career and we'll talk to you soon and be safe with the family. Thank you so much, Chris. You have a great day, man. Well, Chris, it's been a fantastic year for you and your teammates. Congratulations on winning the American League West for the first time for the Athletics since 2013. Thank you. Thank you. And we knew what your guys' goal was. And I mean, your goal is to win the World Series, but no more this wild card game. You wanted to win the division. And then, of course, things change and there is no one wild card game anymore. But what does it mean to you and your teammates to win the division and, and take down the Astros? Yeah, I mean, it means a lot. That was obviously the goal that we set out in the very beginning to to do was to win the division and then obviously go on to hopefully win a World Series. But um, obviously goal one is accomplished and now we have our sights set on the, the big trophy at the end. So what has this season been like for you? Because it's the best season you've ever had as a big league pitcher. Yeah, I mean, it's been really good. Um, I think I've learned to kind of calm the calm the game down. Obviously, no fans helps that a little bit. But, I mean, just uh, I feel like the game's just slowing down for me. Um, things that affected me in the past aren't really affecting me anymore. And, uh yeah, I just think, like I said, I think the, the game has slowed down where I'm not really getting sped up if a guy gets on or a leadoff double or whatever it may be. I'm, I'm kind of staying out of those big innings. Yeah, you've pitched out of jams, and just watching you, you look like a different pitcher. You look so much more confidence and confident, I should say. Speak to that of just, I know you say it's slowing down, but just the, seems like you have just so much more trust in your stuff. Yeah, uh, I mean, as crazy as it is, I, I, I have the ability in, to kind of listen to Tony Kemp come over and the Astros approach versus me. And then uh, Lamb obviously comes over. And the guys that I've faced um, over the years um, and kind of get their approach and their mindset and their idea of how they faced me in the past. And um, I had a lot, a lot of talks with, with Tony about what Houston wanted to do against me and what their, their mindset was against me and stuff like that. And it, it kind of just freaked me up. Uh, I mean, obviously question one, when Tony came over was, I mean, am I tipping pitches? Do you guys know what was coming at times? And I'm not talking about the extracurricular stuff. I'm, I'm literally talking from a baseball standpoint of was I tipping stuff? Was I being too, um, predictable and I mean just our talks were, were great and again I think just all those talks just freed my mind up of things that I thought in the past of what was going on and like I said I think the game just truly is slowing down for me. 
you know, I, I, I love hearing that. That's kind of like a football deal where you want to know how the other team wants to attack you. How do they prepare for you? What, what, what are they looking for against you? So then now you know the mindset. And what's what doesn't happen a lot but has happened this year is taking guys from teams inside the division. You bring over Tommy LaStella. You bring mm-hmm. over Kemp. I mean, you, 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 you know the blueprint that they have against you, and I think that's wonderful. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I completely forgot about Tommy, but again, Tommy comes over and literally the first thing that I mean, I talked to him about was, hey, Mike Trout, all those guys, uh, again, what what were they looking for? What were they doing? What's their approaches against me? Uh, as a team, I feel like you kind of have a, a standard approach against a, 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 a pitcher and kind of what was your guys' approach versus me? And uh, again, just talking with all those guys is, have, has made the game – become a lot slower to me and just make it a lot more basic than just the complex, crazy thoughts that you kind of have as a rookie. And the biggest part is you're healthy and you feel great. You know, I I think about what you've overcome. We actually talked to Kendall Graveman about it and I know he spoke Mm -hmm. to you, you know, when you finally feel healthy and you can trust it, it's gotta be a wonderful feeling. Yeah, it's it's a, a sense of accomplishment that I don't think you can really like replicate. I mean, I've talked to a lot of guys in the past that were helping me out, and then I've obviously talked to a lot of guys like Kendall that were going through stuff and just him bouncing off what he was going through, how he was feeling mentally, physically, and just I mean, it's it's an absolute grind, and I think people don't truly understand it unless you go through it, and then kind of once you get through it, it's like my gosh, like how much I appreciate not only being healthy, but the game and just the, the normal grind of, of playing one, like playing catch day one or having a bullpen day two, just, that's just, you have the appreciation for the game way more than, than you ever had. And you think about how hard this year has been. I mean, I think about you guys and what you're going through, you know, you're dealing with COVID-19, the social injustice, there was a potential hurricane in Houston. Then the air mm-hmm. quality with the fires. I mean, it it, it it seems like it's been so hard. But I like when when they had uh, Sean Manaya mic'd up and you were sitting next to him. You guys have found some levity. You found some ways to start to have a little happiness and have a little fun. Whether uh, you're wearing that much under your uniform or not, at least you guys are are trying to have a good time because there's people coming out going, "Man, this season has just been brutal." Oh, I mean, it's. I think this has been just the most hectic year of, of almost anyone's life. Um, just because exactly what you said, I feel like every week something major that's happening that's different. And uh, now we're kind of trying to get everyone's families in this bubble for the playoffs. And that's just an absolute just circus as it is. Um, but I mean, the one constant I feel like we have is just Bowmel. And I mean, I, I know it's kind of easy to talk about a head coach and all this stuff and how good he is, but the way that Bowmel has kind of approached us um, throughout all of these these like different things that have gone on, and how he's kind of just steadied our minds and made it made it kind of easy for us to just play and not really worry about all the other stuff has made the season go by as smoothly as it possibly can. Um, Kind of like what you said. I mean, it's, it, we've we've dealt with so much stuff, um, especially being a California team with the fires and the air quality and all that stuff. 
But uh, again, Bowmel, I think, has done just an absurd job of just keeping us on track every single day and just being just the best coach you possibly can be. Yeah, I'm so glad you say that because everybody thinks it's just about analytics now. Everybody, you know, it's just in the numbers and you play the numbers. But the reality is, is someone has to lead the group. Someone has to steer the ship and Mm -hmm. someone has to deal with the egos. Someone has to, I mean, you know, some guys have issues going off the field, let alone on the field. And somebody has to be that person that you can trust and you can rely on and he can lead. And to me, that's his biggest strength is he's such a great leader and communicator with you guys. No doubt. He, he, he has an uncanny ability of reading a room and basically knowing who he needs to talk to when, and when to talk to him and how to talk to him. And um, I know he's pulled a number of guys to the side throughout the year and just asked if they're okay um, from a personal standpoint or um, like social justice standpoint or the fire standpoint or whatever it may be. And uh, I mean, again, I, I don't think he could have manage this year any better obviously the year is not over but i mean he's done an incredible job you know before we let you go what would it mean for you to be one of the starters in these three games and what would it mean for you to be the game one starter (laughs) i mean honestly i wouldn't i don't really care if i'm a starter or not i mean i know that may sound stupid but i mean at the end of the day, I, I, it doesn't mean much if I'm a starter and we get sent home early. So whatever the, the team kind of thinks is the best idea to go go forward and say, hey, um, we're running with these three starters or these, three, these four starters, and they say, hey, we want you in the bullpen. We think you're the best there right now for us. Then I'll go to the bullpen. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to be happy if we get sent home and lose and not win a World Series. If we win a World Series, I don't care if I'm a bench player, water boy. I don't. I don't give a damn what we are, what I am. So, uh, yeah, starting would be cool, but at the same time, I mean, I am just hell bound and determined to freaking win a World Series. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that's that's the goal in mind. I don't really care about where I'm at. Yeah, well, that's why you're a winner because you have that mentality, and that and that's how you do win championships. And, and just before we let you go, you know. Uh, if when you get to either Dodger Stadium or down to San Diego, you know, in October at night, it starts to get cooler. You might need to put a little more clothing on. <laughs> yeah, uh, unfortunately, we just lost our last game. So I think the outfit is going to be changed a little bit. So uh, I'm going to put some underwear on this, this game. So we'll, we'll be good. <laughs> You're the best, my man. Be well, be safe. We can't wait to watch you in the postseason. Thank you. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend? 
or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 